Good morning, everyone. Ah, sounds like people are awake. Very good. Very good. Good morning. And thank you to Sandra Rukinich from Salt Lake City, Utah, for that beautiful piano music this morning. Thank you, Sandy. All right. To get us started this morning, I'd like to recognize an ACB member from the great state of Texas, Reverend George Gordon, who was with us a couple years ago, reminded me of that, and is back today to um, give our invocation. George, thank you. Yes, thank you. Here he is, and it's right there. You're good. Good morning. Praise, praise the Lord. I'm just delighted to be here with y'all again this morning. Thanks to, uh, to this great state of Rochester, <laughs> New York, and to our president and all of the members. It's good to be here with y'all. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus, we come before your presence. We're here. Thank you. Thank you for another day in this year's bad life. Thank you for the movement of our limbs, Heavenly Father, enabling us to get around. Thank you for blessing us to be a part of this powerful, powerful organization. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you'll bless us, Heavenly Father, as we go through this day. Bless things that just uh, be what you want it to be. We pray. We thank you for all of the the workings that you've given this uh, organization all these years, preparing us, Heavenly Father, so that we can meet the challenges in life. And set the stage, Heavenly Father, for those who are behind us. We pray that you'll continue to work with us, Heavenly Father, so that we can uh, put our ideas and thoughts together and bless all the manufacturers, Heavenly Father, that help us uh, do the things we need to do in our day-to-day life. We pray that you'll bless this organization to continue to forge on and go forward, Heavenly Father, and prepare things for the future generation that's coming behind us. Guide us and direct us as we go through this day. Keep us and bless us with the blessings we stand in need of. In Jesus' name we pray forever and ever. Can we all say amen? Amen. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you. you. Rachel and Rosemary, come forward. Thank you. Thank you. I am especially grateful for the blessing on keeping the limbs moving and the direction to get where you need to go. That's divine guidance would be helpful sometimes in this, this, this hotel this time of week. We start to need some of that. So, all right. Rachel, all right. To, um, to join and lead us in the pledge today, we have two, our last two J.P. Morgan Chase <laughs> Fellowship leaders, Rosemarie Facilla from Muskogee, Michigan, Muskegon, I'm sorry. Muskogee. <laughs> that's, in, that's in Oklahoma. My geography. Okay. Muskegon, Michigan. And Rachel Schroeder, where can I make her from? Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, not Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, I know, I know. Springfield, Illinois. I know. I know. All right. And, and our AV gentleman, Patrick had a very nice idea this morning. He said that the flags are by a speaker. So he's going to make the speaker where the flags are be the only speaker in the room in just one moment, and that's where you will face to face the flags. So thank you, Patrick. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, I'm going to recognize our whirlwind energy bunny, Miss Marjorie Beeman, to go over with us, our sponsors. Marjorie. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Good morning. Is everybody awake yet? No. <laughs> okay. Our Crown Jewel sponsor, 50000 Ara, reduced hotel rates for convention yeah. attendees. Give them a hand. Our diamond sponsors, 25000 Google, ACB, conference banquet. J.P. Morgan Chase, off-site ACB educational and recreational events, reduced ticket pricing for all events. Microsoft, conference participation and development training for future leaders. Vanda, Exhibit Hall, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Verizon, Verizon Media, audio, visual services in general sessions and all event meeting rooms. Vespiro, ACB radio streaming. Give the diamond sponsors a hand. Emerald sponsors, 15,000. Comcast, conference registration. Sprint, conference communication center and newspaper. Uber, ACB radio, afternoon broadcast. Give the Emerald sponsors a hand. Ruby sponsors, 10,000. Adobe Systems, ACB scholarship mentoring program. Amazon, audio description program. AT&T, ACB workshops and seminar programming. Cisco, continuing education credits. Facebook, all general sessions. Humanware, ACB auction. Arcom, ACB cafe. Spectrum, interpreter services for deaf blind attendees. And Walmart, give them a hand. Onyx sponsors, 5,000, Buell Fund, Recreational Zone, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. She has had to put up with people's ignorance and unnecessary pity. My mom is a mom. She has taught me the lessons that all moms teach their kids. But as I am naturally biased, I believe she has taught me maybe a little more. What my mom has taught me, one, if you have limitations, it is because you limit yourself. Two, one is not disabled, one is able to differently, and there isn't anything one can't do, one just does it differently. And if one is able differently and can do it, then nothing should hold you back. Three, 
A mom isn't the one who gave birth to you. She is the one who was there through the good, bad, and ugly of your childhood and loved you through it all. Four, we are not all created equal. God has given us all different talents and we need to use those talents to the fullest for his glory. We are all created equal in God's eyes. We are all <laughs> sinners that need his gift of salvation. Five, don't worry about what others think of you. Just be the best you can be. Six, always be up to new adventures and challenges. Never stop learning and working. Seven, there is always more than one way to accomplish a task. If plan A doesn't work, move on to plans B, C, D, E, F, etc. Don't give up. You will be amazed at what you will accomplish. Eight, just because someone does a task differently doesn't make them wrong. It is just different. Nine, helping others is its own reward. Ten, God doesn't make mistakes. It wasn't a mistake that my mom was born blind, and it wasn't a mistake that I was put up for adoption. Just because I wasn't born into my family doesn't make me less of a family member. I just joined my family differently. 11, being different is normal and what makes us all special. 12, get to know people because or in spite of their differences, they will enrich your life. This next one was written by Marge Snyder. Ann Sims passed at her home in Hapeville, Georgia on April 16, 2018. Born on August 31, 1938 in East Point, Georgia, Ann was two years younger than her brother Otis Stevens. Oh, wow. Otis was a past president of the American Council of the Blind and a loved and respected leader in the organization. <laughs> Both Ann and Otis attended the Georgia Academy for the Blind, and after graduating in 1955, Ann attended college at the University of Georgia, majoring in music education. During the 1960s, she was employed at Fort Gillum in the Atlanta area, but when the responsibilities of the job changed, she was retired by the government because of her disability. Beginning in the early 1980s, Ann worked for Atlanta's Center for the Visually Impaired, teaching in the areas of Braille, technology, and mobility. Ann was a strong advocate of Braille and motivated many of her students to develop Braille reading and writing skills. During her years at CVI, Ann was a role model for her students, showing them how someone who was blind could live a full, rewarding life. She tried several times to retire from CVI, but they always asked her to come back. She would agree to stay on until they found another Braille teacher. She eventually reduced her hours, but still enjoyed working with both youth and adults. After more than three decades, she did finally end her long career at CVI in 2015. In the mid-1960s, Anne and her first husband began the process to adopt children, completing the application and going through interviews like other prospective adoptive parents. But for Anne, there was the obstacle of additional scrutiny. She had to demonstrate how she completed household tasks and how she would be able to take care of any children when home alone. 
and became the first blind mother to adopt in the state of Georgia when Stephen, then only a few weeks old, joined the family in 1966. The state came to their home to check on things, which was normal, but Anne had to demonstrate to her caseworker how she completed various tasks to take care of an infant, such as how she changed diapers. Anne and her husband adopted a second child, Susan, in 1969. Thinking back on it now, Susan says of her mother, quote, I don't think mama minded the scrutiny. She was always confident in her abilities and always loved demonstrating that she was no different from anyone else. She always got a good chuckle at how people were amazed that she could do the most basic of domestic chores. She knew the only way to change people's perspective or stereotype of the blind was to live her life as a confident, active individual. She loved people and knew that their ignorance was from a simple lack of being educated about the blind. She enjoyed taking the time to educate people, end quote. Anne's membership in the Georgia Council of the Blind, GCB, dates back to the 1960s, the early days of the affiliate. She held many leadership positions in the Atlanta chapter and at the state level, the most demanding of which was her capable editorship of, for many years of the quarterly GCB Digest. As a five-time graduate of the Seeing Eye, Anne was a founding member of Georgia Guide Dog Users in 2001, where she was a very active member. Anne and her second husband, John N. Sims, were always there at GCB meetings, were always people we could count on in the organization to help out where needed and to share ideas and wisdom. Reflecting on another aspect of her mother's life, Susan says of Anne, quote, Mom loved music and the Lord. She always found a way to use her talents for him. She would serve in her church as either the pianist or organist. She didn't join her church for that reason. She would just end up being asked and she didn't say no. She would play for anyone that needed an accompanist. She would regularly visit nursing homes and play. I want to say music was her passion, but in truth, people were, end quote. Anne sent out several group emails during her cancer treatment this past year. She had an unwavering faith in God that she would be healed either here on earth or in heaven. Though Anne has left us, surely she has been healed. Thank you. You read beautifully, Betsy. Nice job. Thank you. And to speak to us about Al Gill, I welcome to the microphone Don Thompson from Hawaii. I'm going to get some applause right away. Mine will be shorter. Oh. <laughs> you were right. Um, I want to thank the organization for allowing me to speak about my friend. In September of 1939, that's almost 80 years ago, I went to the blind school in Berkeley, and two weeks later, this little guy came with his parents, and we became friends quickly. And from then on, I found several things about Al Gill. 
One, something that all of you know who remember him, that he has a wonderful sense of humor. But at the same time, he was very serious when he got down to business. He worked very hard in school. He got his degree at the University of California. He went out and made a fine record as a home teacher. But that service was discontinued, but he was hired at the Oakland or at the Albany now Orientation Center for the Blind. And he was he developed a very good record there. And in retirement, what does he do? He goes to Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cindy and your crowd. <laughs> Yeah, he went to the he went to Washington. I I visited him up there several times, a lot of times actually. Um, and and uh, I know he took some part in your organization too. But Al, in spite of his humor and all of that, didn't call attention to himself when he was doing serious work. He just did it, and I think that's worth something. And. Uh, when I, um, I approached Al, this was while he was still at Albany. Albany, California, not New York or Georgia or Oregon. <laughs> and uh, when he was there, this was about 1990, I think. And I said, Al, why don't you come to Hawaii and visit us? And Al figured that I wouldn't do it, so he asked me to write him a letter telling him to come. So I got there and I wrote the letter. And then he was stuck and he had to come. And so he just kept coming every year to our convention until he got sick. Al had diabetes. He didn't know it because he didn't go to the doctor. It caused him to lose a little toe right away. And though he took care of himself, the damage was done. And though he went, he always wanted to go to these old time radio programs Bob Acosta and others know about that. And he just couldn't go to the last one. His foot wouldn't heal. And he knew the time was short. But in any case, I lost a great friend. And I guess some of us are soon to follow. Thank you. Was that Thanks, okay? Don. That was great, Don. Oh, Thanks. Yeah. That's, for, that's for Al. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. 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 All right. Let's hear from some of our great sponsors this morning. Our first presentation is going to be about Verizon. And here to speak to us this morning is Zach Bastian, who's the manager of Strategic Alliance and Public Policy. And he's based out of the Washington, D.C. area. Zach? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? All right, you can't, for those of you who can't see me, I just detached the mic because I'm six foot seven, so I don't want to be crouching as I'm talking to you this morning. Um, good morning. So great to see so many smiling faces out there. Thanks so much for making the trip uh, to Rochester. Um, I wanted to just start to by thanking the ACB leadership team for everything that they do, for being just such a great 
collaborator and partner to work with. Um, just not three weeks ago, Eric Bridges and I were working together on an event for M Enabling, which is one of the largest accessible technology conferences that we have here in the U.S. And the topic that we wanted to cover was collaboration between companies and representatives of various disabilities, talking about how we can all do better at building inclusive brands and thinking about how we as companies are engaging with our customers with disabilities. So it's always been a point of focus for my relationship with ACB is to draw on the great experience of the membership, all the expertise and the knowledge that you guys have. So we're so grateful for this relationship in a lot of ways. Um, in no small part, you know, it's been very exciting to see a lot of the new staff that ACB has brought on in the last couple of years. Um, both Claire Stanley and Clark Rockfall are some of the new folks that you guys have in Washington, D.C., representing your interests out there, stumping for ACB. They're doing a great job. And there are young people that are showing the diversity among people who are blind, um, raising new voices in the conversation. And Clark has a personal connection to the company because he worked for Verizon within our office for nine years as a legislative analyst. So a lot of folks, you know, love Clark, are so happy to see him do well uh, working with ACB, and we're so thrilled to see that he's aboard as well. So thank you so much um, for your steadfast partnership and everything that you do with us. I just wanted to cover a few things this morning about Verizon. Um, if you want to learn anything about Verizon's accessible services for people who are blind, you can go to verizon.com slash accessibility. That's our centralized portal where you can find out everything from our wireless services to Fios, our Fios text-to-speech feature. Um, if you're dealing with any kind of hearing impairment, the hearing aid cap compatibility of various phones, uh, learning all about our accessible customer service centers. We have dedicated customer service centers for people with disabilities Monday through Friday, so you can take advantage of those services as well. Um, and we also have alternate billing formats. We have, if you need your bills in Braille, if you need them in large print, we can accommodate that. We're more than happy to help. So uh, go to verizon.com slash accessibility to learn more about that. But I also wanted to, thank you. Uh, I also wanted to talk about the disability collection, which is a real point of pride for Verizon right now. Um, my colleagues at Verizon Media, particularly Margot Joffe, Larry Goldberg, Mike Shabanek, Samantha Soloway, uh, they looked at representation of people with disabilities within mass media and felt like we could do a lot better than we're doing right now. Um, you know, people with disabilities are. 20% of the population, but 2% of uh, representation in media, that's a massive gap. That means that when we're seeing advertising and marketing materials, we're not seeing a true reflection of what we really look like, of the diversity of experiences that we're all having. So together with the National Disability Leadership Alliance, of which American Council of the Blind is a part, uh, Getty Images, one of the leading stock photography providers uh, worldwide, and Verizon Media, we developed the Disability Collection, which was a comprehensive set of guidelines to produce high-quality, beautiful stock photography authentically depicting life with a disability. And for those of you who haven't had a chance to check it out, 
I really recommend that you Google the disability collection. All of the images in the collection are free for you to browse and have uh, descriptions along with all of them so they're fully accessible to you. The videos themselves that accompany the campaign are also audio described. So thought uh, piece by piece, this was all developed with the idea of an inclusive approach to the way that we're depicting people with disabilities in media. The images themselves are beautiful, and our goal is to take it worldwide. Um, these are images available for companies to license, to use in their campaigns. Um, we're using them a lot. I'm thrilled to see uh, companies like our competitor AT&T use images from the disability collection. So uh, it's a real point of pride for us, and we just want to continue to drive that forward, do more to enhance representation of people with disabilities across the country, across the globe. So we thank you so much for your partner partnership in that effort. And I actually have something specific to talk about today with respect to that, which is a media campaign that we're doing where we have a specific need for people with disabilities. So I've been sharing this information with Eric. I know that he's been sharing it with you, for, but for those of you who haven't seen it, we are specifically looking for people... Uh, with disabilities, including people who are blind or have a visual impairment, um, who use some of our Yahoo services, be that Yahoo Fantasy Sports, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, um, I got the list right here, uh, Yahoo Mail, and Yahoo Play. If you use any of those services and you're interested in, in appearing in an advertising campaign about them, uh, you live in Los Angeles, uh, the Bay Area, New York City, Atlanta, or London, uh, we would love to consider you for this media campaign. So you can reach out and learn more. Again, we've got emails of this, so if you can't scribble it down right now, we can certainly get you in touch and provide you the information. But you can learn more at submit, that's S-U-B-M-I-T, at TiffanyCompanyCasting.com. That's T-I-F-F-A-N-Y C-O-M-P-A-N-Y C-A-S-T-I-N-G dot com or by calling 904-414-3680. Uh, you just want to put Yahoo in the subject line so they know that's what you're inquiring about. But the application deadline is July 15th, so you have a couple more days if you'd like to put something together. We'd love to see you, consider you for this campaign, but the idea is to continue to lift up people with disabilities, uh, put them front and center, because we know that we're using your service, our services. We're very grateful for your business. Uh, we want to raise your presence and just continue to benefit from all the great knowledge and expertise that you bring to the table. And this is a paid opportunity. Uh, this isn't a charity gig. You know, we want to make sure that uh, we're doing this the right way. So, um, that's all of my comments for today. I thank you so much for your partnership. If you're around later this afternoon, I'm going to be on the audio description panel with some of my colleagues, including Tom, who's, I think, coming up next, Tom Lodkowski of Comcast. So again, this is Zach Bastian uh, here from Verizon. Thank you so much for your time. All right, our next sponsor presentation is going to be from Vespero, and it's a pleasure to recognize Matt Ader, who is from the Washington, D.C. area as well. He, um, he hails out of Manassas, Virginia. Matt, welcome. 
You know, I'll tell you, before I walked up here and I, I listened to um, Betsy talk about Anne as a, as a blind parent myself, um, that was a very special thing. So please, everybody, I think give a big round of applause again about Anne. I definitely shed a tear during that one, so it's very cool to hear that story. So, um, it's funny. Um, thank you to ACB for having us. Um, it's, it's very important to us to be a sponsor of this organization. Um, many of our employees are actually members of ACB. Many of our customers are members of ACB. And of course, people say, who are our customers? Because every time we come up here, we have a new name, right? <laughs> Today, it's Vespero. And we only did that because we wanted to follow Verizon. We did it alphabetical today, is that right? No? Um, but, you know, tomorrow we'll have to change the letters just a little bit to make sure we go in front. But, uh, so, you know, who is Vispero? Um, you know, because of all of you have heard these name changes over the time. Um, I think a year ago we may have been like VFO or UFO or something like that. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I don't know? Okay. So, um, there, think of us as, as an accessibility company, um, and I'll kind of go through what that means. And for those of you who've not um, followed us for the last month or so, we did some new YouTube videos that you can find online. If you look up Vispero, spelled V-I-S-P-E-R-O, we have five new videos, and I want to thank Joel Snyder and his crew for doing the audio description. Is Joel? Yeah, good. And um, there's some really great stories about our customers using our technologies, about the company and the technology we're building, and the value that you know, we believe we bring across all of our brands. Some of the brands, as you guys know, and I'll, I'll just kind of rattle these off as quickly as possible. Freedom Scientific, who knows that one? Okay, good. Um, obviously, Jaws. ZoomText. Fusion, which for those of you who are low vision, using some magnification, but need a little bit more help, um, this adds the power of JAWS into ZoomText, and it's one combined product called Fusion, makes it easier. OpenBook, anybody still use OpenBook out there? Focus Braille Display. Ruby Magnifier for people with low vision, handheld magnifiers. Topaz. Video magnification, desktop units, and something new this year is called the Omni Reader. And if you haven't seen that, that'll be at the booth as well. That's a scan and read system. Optelec, that's the next brand. Anybody know Optelec? We hear a clap over there. Good, a few. Excellent. Um, video magnification again. Clearview is one of the brands. Compact, which is a handheld. And then Clear Reader, which is like scan and read um, device as well. Now we move on to the next one. Yes, one more hardware company. Enhanced Vision. Anybody know Enhanced Vision in the crowd? Good, excellent. Uh, Merlin is one of the brands. Pebble. Smart Reader. Does anybody know the Smart Reader? That's a fairly new product. And it's again, scan and read, similar to the Omni Reader and the Clear Reader. So um, you should be able to see the Smart Reader in the booth. Um, the final brand is TPG. Some people know it as Paciello Group. Um, 
Yeah, I hear a cheer on my left here. That's good. Um, I actually ran TPG for, for four, uh, the last few years within the company and recently moved out to kind of run uh, more corporate business development. But TPG focuses on accessibility services for companies. So if you're faced with challenges accessing things on websites or using applications or accessing things like kiosks or any other form of digital content, this is where TPG comes into play to help those corporations solve their accessibility problems. Its products include, um, obviously, the, the services. We have something called JAWS Inspect, which actually allows a sighted developer to see everything JAWS would say in a, in a report structure. Um, there's something called JAWS Kiosk. Yes, I said JAWS Kiosk. Anybody have a problem out there that's accessing a kiosk? And there's many kiosks out there, and they're growing, right? I mean, you walk into restaurants today, you go into banks, you go into hotel lobbies, and you want to print out your boarding pass. How do you do that? You go into a Social Security Administration office. How do you do it? You go into a VA hospital, and you need to register. How do you do it? Those kind of kiosks, um, we need to find a way to make those accessible, and we came out with a version of JAWS that's specifically for kiosks, and for anybody who wants to learn more about that, they can reach out to me about that. Yes. Yes, so... So, um, in addition to the JAWS kiosk, we can support Braille on those kiosks, if that's the question. I heard deafblind as well. So, okay. Um, Accessibility Resource Center, ARC, which is the uh, platform that TPG runs all their business on, that scans websites, finds the issues, and provides guidance to customers. And then back um, about a month ago in Washington, D.C., we, we ran a pilot of a program called the Accessible Escape Room. Now, how many of you have ever been to an escape room? Please clap. How many of you have actually been to an escape room that you enjoyed because you had enough vision to actually participate? Zero. So we developed something that we're going to be piloting over the next year to corporations and at conferences to allow people with disabilities to participate in an escape room. Fully accessible and should be coming out in different conferences and sessions um, in the next year. So please pay, uh, stay tuned to that. I'll provide a link to um, ACB that they can share out about that so you can follow up on that. Uh, new products from the company. Omni Reader I mentioned before, Scan and Read, that'll be at the booth. Focus 80 um, V5, so for those of you who have used to the Focus 14 or the Focus 40, the V5, I know our love, I love our naming convention here. Let's just add a number and change the, keep the name the same. So just in case you can't count, we're in trouble, right? I mean, but the, the V5 is the new product. Um, and for those of you who don't know the V, it's version 5. So we're going to be really special when we come out with version 6, I'm sure. But either way, <laughs> the uh, 80 cell display of the V5 is out. Uh, Clearview Go and Jupiter. So, anybody, um, APH, anybody know APH? 
So if you're in education, you need to get access to some of our products. Some of them are available through the education programs, and one of them is called Jupiter. That product is a foldable CCTV, so you can take it with you from place to place. Um, and then from the Optelic brand, we offer that same mo or similar model called Clearview Go. It's a little larger screen, but not available through the um, quota programs with APH. Um, smart Reader, um, JAWS and ZoomText home use program. How many people here have found, about, found out about the home use program? Anybody? So this was big this past year for Freedom Scientific to release JAWS and ZoomText for $90 and $80 online for home use. Think about that. You used to pay $895 to be able to use a product of ours at home. And now it's for $90 for JAWS and $80 for ZoomText. That's a big deal for people to have access and learn things at home before they go to work. Or if you don't want to work and you still want to do email. So thank you for... Um, trying out with those programs. Picture Smart with JAWS, if you haven't tried this, a new feature, allows you to, you could have thousands of pictures on your computer and you have no clue what they are until you ask somebody. Well, now you can actually ask JAWS. And JAWS will go out to the internet and come back and tell you what the picture is. Great new feature, if you haven't seen it, stop by the booth and Douglas can show that to you. Um, some of the show specials, I'll just rattle these off. And again, um, we thank you, ACB, for having us at the exhibit hall later this afternoon. I think it's 12 to 5, if I remember correctly. And what did you say? 11 to 5. Okay, don't be late. 11 to 5. And we're, at the, we're on the last wall. We're the entire wall. You'll know because when you hit that last wall, there's carpet going all the way down our booth. And there's people there to help you. Um, some of the specials. 20% 20, 20 off JAWS and ZoomText, home use program through, through the end of September. You can get a coupon. 20% um, off all hardware during the show. So if you want to get a Braille display or a handheld Ruby or a Pebble or any of those devices, you can stop by and get those. Open book is $125 at the show if you don't have access to that. Again, I want to thank ACB um, for what they do. I want to thank all of you for what you do and um, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you, Matt. And our final sponsor presentation this morning comes to us from a great friend of ACB, um, a longtime sponsor. Our friends from Comcast, um, Vice President of Accessibility, Tom Litkowski from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey. Hello, good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Kim. Uh, it's great to be here with everybody today. Uh, and how's everybody doing out there? Good. All right. Everybody enjoying video description and all this other good stuff here? All right, all right. Uh, it's great to see my friends uh, Zach and, and Matt here. I feel like we're kind of on a political campaign circuit. The only difference is we all agree with each other that we need more access. Um, we're not trying to rip each other apart. Um, seems like we're, we're always in this, you know, kind of um, touring around the country. Last, last month it was M-enabling. Now we're here. Next week many of us will be in Chicago at the Disability Inn Conference. And uh, who knows where else we'll be going down the line here. But uh, it's great to cross paths. 
want to thank ACB. I want to thank Kim and Eric and Clark and, and the team that we get the opportunity and pleasure to work with on a, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, I came in today and, and some of the, the leaders here were, were thanking me and Comcast for being very responsive to requests that come up uh, from ACB, but I, I really feel like it's the other way around as well. Um, and that's really how you know that it's a true win-win partnership where there's true collaboration happening. And, and I think uh, all of you as members should really feel um, very confident in, in the leadership here that, um, you know, they're, they're really working not only, you know, with our company, but many major technology and, and financial and other companies and really helping us, um, you know, improve accessibility. So I think it's a, it's a kudos and let's just give everyone a round of applause for that, that work. Now I'll have Kim buy me dinner later and that'll be okay. Uh, um, so, so uh, Brian may not like that too much, but we'll figure that out. Anyway, so uh, a few things that I wanted to give you an update on from, from the Comcast perspective and some of the work that we're doing. Um, first is, is X1. Uh, anybody in here have X1? All right. We got voice guidance rolling. Um, we got some other things coming in the works, like high contrast and scalable fonts. We're, we're working through that. Um, so we've added to our voice commands, um, and so that continues to be a, a great way. We do about 700 million voice commands a month. Um, anybody using the voice remote to speak into it to navigate? Great. Um, so now you can say accessibility, and you can get directly to the accessibility menu. Uh, you can say uh, voice guidance, uh, and that will you know, bring up the overlay, and this box will start talking, and you can turn it on or off, uh, depending on what you're, you're doing. Um, same thing with uh, video description. It also supports audio description, uh, the phrase. We've adopted the FCC language, but uh, you know, we know that it, there's, there's uh, uh, different ways of, of saying the same thing, and so the, the voice remote will, will uh, speak that. And you can even get more granular. Uh, you can say, show me the episode of you know, Seinfeld where Jerry shaves his chest, and uh, you'll get directly to that episode. Uh, don't know that if it's described or not. I can't uh, help you there necessarily, but, but at least you could get to the show. Um, so, uh, X1 is certainly continuing to evolve. We know we have more work to do, um, but, but that uh, remains to be uh, our signature product. And not only is it used for entertainment, uh, but now uh, you can manage your, your internet settings, uh, your home broadband, uh, and control uh, home automation features, and we're working to evolve accessibility of, of that aspect of, of the platform. The other piece, uh, how many in here are Cox customers? What the heck is a Comcast guy doing talking about another company? Well, the, the beauty part about it is that X1 is the Contour 2 for Cox. And so um, we're, we view X1 as, as the digital operating system for the home. And uh, now we're actually going to be able to, and, and it's already happening, uh, Cox has uh, con uh, X1, so if you're a customer, you can request Contour 2, and you'll get a lot of the same functionality that, that you've heard us talk about with, with Comcast. Uh, 
Another exciting uh, piece is that we're moving into the kind of the, the, the business side for X1, and now you're going to start to see X1 appear in select hotel chains across the country. And so for the first time, you'll actually get uh, a talking guide right there in your hotel room. Wouldn't that be nice? So uh, hopefully someday we can eliminate the need. I noticed in the welcome letter at the Riverside, it gave me all the channel listings in, in hard copy form. Hopefully we can, we can do away with that uh, over time. On the video description front, uh, we continue to work uh, to increase our library. Today we now have over 1,200 titles of on-demand content in our library. Uh, that's up from 800 last year, and let's try to you know, pick up the pace and maybe double from 1,200 and beyond uh, when I come back here next year to speak. Um, and we now have um, the ability for you to access description. We had this last year, but just a reminder that you can view Netflix content on the X1 platform with description, and that's accessible. Uh, you can now access YouTube, YouTube Kids, and, and other applications, and we work with those partners to kind of work to expand uh, usability of, of apps as they come onto the platform. Uh, so, so video description of content. Uh, one challenge with video description that I do want to address, and we do hear from customers, is how come when I navigate the library of content and I find a show, um, sometimes the show that is for purchase or for rent has the description, and that same show might be on demand, available for free, uh, that doesn't have the description. Um, that is an issue with our with programmers. Not so we we can supply the description, but um, you know when we do specific arrangements with with programmers, we we get the content, and it's you know usually for lease or for or for purchase. Um, but then a network that we also partner with may feed us that same show on demand, uh, and perhaps that network is not one of the ones that that offers description. Um, and so uh, we need to get better at understanding um, the shows, the metadata behind each one of those shows so that we can individually target the one content that does have the description and separate that out, differentiate it from the content that, that doesn't have description. So I just kind of wanted to uh, let you know that we're aware of that challenge and we're, we're working to uh, find ways of, of addressing that so it's a little bit more clear to you as the, as the viewer uh, what, what content has it. But, but believe me, we wish we had everything available with description for purchase, for free, uh, no matter what. And, and so that, that continues to be an area that, that, we, need to, that we need to work on. Uh, we do have a collection page for video description where uh, all of the content, live content, uh, on-demand content in our library, content on Netflix and other partners that has description shows up in one place. All you have to say into your voice remote is shows with video description or navigate to the accessibility menu on X1 and you can access it from there. The uh, new product this year is within our home automation and home security offerings. So Comcast has a product called Xfinity Home. Uh, it does your home security so you can you know, arm and disarm your security system. Uh, you can control automation in the home, thermostats, uh, uh, lights. Uh, you can get alerts when doors are open, etc. Um, and and so that that product now uh, we've had the the mobile app, the iPhone or Android app, 
accessible for a while. Um, but this year, uh, we just released the, the accessibility into what we call our home hub, which is a countertop kiosk, the touchscreen kiosk uh, that uh, supports now uh, text-to-speech capabilities. We call it voice guidance on X1. We call it voice guidance on that kiosk. And so um, if you want to know more about that product, you can as with any other of our products, talk directly with our uh, dedicated support center for customers with disabilities, uh, and you can reach them at 855-270-0379. That's 855-270-0379, or send an email to uh, accessibility at comcast.com. We also have an accessible chat interface as well, so you can talk directly to uh, an accessible agent. So with that, uh, again, I just want to thank uh, all of you for being uh, loyal supporters, for uh, letting us know what isn't working, but also being patient while we continue to improve our services. Um, if there are challenges uh, that you're experiencing, I do want to know about them. The only way I can fix a problem is if I know about the problem. Uh, and, you know, I know that working with large companies can be a challenge uh, at times. Uh, you know, there's more than 90,000 people. Uh, and so uh, you might not always get the right hand and the left hand working in sync. Um, and so, you know, feel free to reach out through ACB, um, you know, I know Kim knows how to find me uh, and has when, when issues come up, and I would say we're pretty quick to try and resolve them as, as they come up, uh, but please do let me know about challenges uh, that, that, are, that, are, uh, that you're facing, and we'll do our best to, to fix them. So enjoy the rest of the show, and uh, I look forward to coming back here uh, next year and giving you some more exciting news. All right. Thank you, Tom. And um, and if you haven't read one of the stories about how um, Comcast worked with ACB to help someone, read um, my president's message in the July ACB Braille Forum, and you'll read a really nice story about Comcast and ACB working together. That was a teaser, so. I'm not a spoiler today. <laughs> All right, it's now time for me to uh, turn the podium over to our secretary, who will be the presiding officer of the day. Um, we've got a jam-packed program, so he's going to have to be a little bit elastic in his flexibility. And uh, But Ray is always flexible, and it's um, my honor to turn the podium over to Ray Campbell. All right. All right. I think we'll, we'll level out. Yeah, we'll... Good morning, ACB. And good morning, ACB Radio. Um, before we get started, very quick announcement. This is very important. If you want to vote later this week, and that is that um, on your badge, if you are a paid ACB, mem ACB member, if you stick your finger inside your badge holder, if it's pointing left, there should be a dot up in the, in the corner of it. If uh, you have that dot, it's a red dot. 
if you can see color. If you have one of those dots, you are all set to go. You can vote no problem, Mo. If you don't and you believe you should have one, you have until 2 o'clock tomorrow to go to registration and resolve that. If you do not resolve it by then, you won't be able to vote on Tuesday. So 2 o'clock tomorrow, Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> it's late. <laughs> The, the best part about starting a little bit late is you don't get to hear one of my stories. So that's, <laughs> I usually like to tell a story when I start. We're going to get right into the program this morning. Um, you know, we as blind people, whether we live with someone or we live alone, many of us are never alone because we have these wonderful companions named talk, called Talking Book Narrators. And no matter if we're sitting out on the patio drinking a cup of coffee, or in my case, I'm cold Miller Lite, or uh, lying in bed going to sleep at night, those wonderful companions are always there. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce one of those wonderful people this morning to talk with us for a few minutes. His name is Gary Tells. <clears throat> Gary is, yeah, yeah, give him a round of applause. Gary has been the uh, uh, worked for the Potomac Talking Book Services uh, since, since 1993. So my math says that's 26 years, and he says he trusts my math more than his. And he also worked directly with the Library of Congress for about 10 years. Um, so please give a warm ACB welcome to Talking Book narrator Gary Tells, like Orson Welles. Gary. Terrified of microphones. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Ray. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good morning. Uh, my name's Gary Tells. I've been working, as Ray said, uh, at Potomac Talking Books for probably around 26 years and directly at the library. And I also have done a bunch of uh, commercial audiobooks. And I'd basically just like to give you a little background, tell you how I got there, and then talk about the actual, you know, what we actually do. Uh, I was born in New Bedford, Massachusetts. All right. We got some Moby Dick fans here. Uh, born there, moved around. My dad was in the, sir <clears throat> excuse me, service. Uh, so... Anyhow, as a little boy, I probably, earliest remem uh, memory I have is I might have been five, sitting in Santa's lap, and uh, he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I did not say narrator, I had no idea what that was, but I wanted to be a movie star. <laughs> so, obviously, I had to change careers, as they say. Uh, I then grew up a little bit, became a bit more mature, and became more interested in acting, theater, you know, great literature, etc. And been acting in the D.C. area for many years. And one time I was doing a staged reading and this fellow that I was that was our director his name's John Reed he actually was in the program many many years ago unfortunately he passed away from AIDS and that was very sad he was a wonderful guy 
Anyhow, I found out that he was doing these books, and I asked him, well, I'd love to do that. Um, And I asked him how to do it, and he gave me the information I auditioned. I had been reading aloud to my, at the time, girlfriend, and, you know, she's the one that pushed me to do this. Uh, All right, anyhow, I started at the... um, at the uh, Potomac Talking Book Services. It was in Bethesda at the time. We moved to Rockville, Maryland. And uh, I started off, uh, if I listened to myself as I was back then, I'd probably be horrified. Uh, Screaming at a very high pace is what I recall. Uh, So I learned to try to control that. And I also learned um, that as I started out, every character I'd try to give a different voice and do some research on where the character came from and try to do an authentic this accent or that accent and uh, do a lot of emoting. I came to realize that if I were listening to books, I would not want to hear some guy talking like this all day. So um, I've turned that down and tried to just give enough of an indication of you know, who's speaking, if they have an accent, where they're from. Uh, I did read a book. It was a Booker Prize winner about a guy in Glasgow, and it was all written in this dialect. So there you have no choice. You have to try to, uh, to do the accent. Fortunately, I was dating a Scottish girl at the time. So I looked out there. Uh, and I've, done, I've probably done around 400 books, I think, at this point. Uh, and countless uh, magazines. Uh, I do the uh, New York Times book review, if, if you folks are interested in that. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, it's how I get to learn about more books. Um, and one weird thing is that I found since I've been doing this is I, I was a voracious reader on my own. Since I started this, I've been reading so much that now I don't read as much for pleasure. But I can't complain. I've read Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, uh, David McCullough, Philip K. Dick, Thucydides. I recently read the book of Enoch. There's a, <laughs> a season in, uh, you know, the, the hot place. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. And some of the books I've read... They don't actually lend themselves to performance. I was stuck reading Naked Lunch. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with with that particular work. There we go. A Burroughs fan. That That is a book that needs to actually be read. I don't know if it can be listened to. Uh, our, our fan over here would probably be able to offer us an opinion on that. Uh, so as I was saying, a lot of books don't lend themselves. Um, I did Glen Gary, Glen Ross. 
Uh, there we go. Mammoth fans, all right, in the house. Um, I did Glen Gary, Glen Ross, and one of the difficult things was, if you know the show, if you've read it or seen the movie or anything like that, the pace is like this. I mean, it's really light, um, like machine gun pace. However, I had to stop and read the name of each character, even during one of these, you know, rapid-fire dialogues. So, at one point, there was a line, and it was just an ellipsis with an exclamation point. Uh, I had no idea what to do, you know, go, or something like that, you know. You have to work your way around these things. Um, And so I started off raw, I guess, as most people do. And I started, I think, getting a bit more, um, you know, more seasoned. And I've read, as I said, so many great books. Uh, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. Any fans in the house here? Excellent. He's a wonderful, just wonderful uh, sci-fi, or some people say speculative fiction. Uh, I read all of Charles Dickens. I remember we did all of his Christmas stories. He has more than one, uh, <laughs> which it didn't surprise me, but yeah, it's something new I learned. Um, Mark Twain is one of my favorite writers, uh, I, as most of you, no doubt. I read um, Tom Sawyer, I read uh, Innocence Abroad, Life on the Mississippi, which you think of Twain as a humorist, but some of the episodes in that book are absolutely heartbreaking. He, he writes about how his brother... If you've read this, I don't want to give any spoilers or anything, but it's fairly well known. His brother died in a steamboat explosion, and he was trying to save other people. So, you know, Twain, while he may be one of the funniest writers ever to have existed, he has a lot of heart and... uh, you know, I I do recommend that book. I you know it's got that little heartbreaking part, but a lot of funny stuff. Um, I started off doing tape, and uh, that was quite a challenge in retrospect because now we're doing digital. Uh, we used to do. I'm sure a lot of you folks remember those orange boxes or yellow boxes, excuse me, and you'd have to switch sides and blah blah blah. And now no more. So I guess the younger people are coming up, uh, enjoying that. Um, I, as I said, I've done some uh, commercial books as well. I've done audi- uh, Audible. All right, excellent. I've done a bunch of books there, nonfiction, science fiction, uh, and oh, we used to have a, uh, a, 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 a what is it? A title called uh, um, 
Now I'm forgetting the name of the... (laughs) Listen and Live Audible, excuse me. That was what it was. So, again, did some Mark Twain there. A very funny short story called Cannibalism in the Cars. I know it doesn't sound funny, but it's a satire, so uh, it has a bunch of politicians, I'm guessing, on a train, so I'm guessing you can uh, uh, get the gist of that. I would recommend also... Excuse me, reading that. Uh, I continued as an actor for many, many years, and uh, I. They asked me to give this uh, talk a name, so I said, I have the best words. It's a play on, uh, you know, the president said that, and I'm like, I do have the best words. I've got Dickens, I've got Mark Twain, I've got all these geniuses, so I really do have the best words. And, um, you know, I, as an actor, I do Shakespeare, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and, you know, I just had a ball for most of my life. We recently moved, you might know, from Bethesda. I know there are some Maryland folks in the house. All right. We moved from Bethesda to Rockville, a much nicer facility. And we've been there uh, about two years now. And uh, it's, I'll be honest with you, sometimes we worry about things like you know, are we going to get contracts, et cetera, et cetera. People are tightening up their belts and stuff in the government especially. So I'd hate to see uh, something like this, uh, you know, uh, diminished because of a, of, of a budgeting contract. I feel, and most of my colleagues at the, uh, uh, you know, at the Potomac Talking Book, well, the entire NLS program, uh, feel that we're doing an important service. Uh, Otherwise, you folks... Thank you. Thank you very much. Otherwise, I I hate to think you folks would probably have to pay... Any audiobook you'd want, you'd have to pay for or read it in Braille. Uh, I I can't imagine... You know, I've I've had to... um, learn a little bit of braille. I I had a guide so I could make labels for the old tapes and stuff like that, but I am in no way uh, fluent in braille reading. Um, So anyhow, um, we, we, as I said, we've moved. We've moved away from the yellow boxes and the tape and tying a string on the piece, on the cassette in case uh, something was wrong with it. I'm, I'm sure some of our... Uh, <laughs> you know that, of course. Um, so we're not doing that anymore. And um, I like it a lot better. I'll tell you why. Technically, if you're on tape... And you, and you mess up, you say the wrong word or whatever, your voice cracks. On tape, you'd have to rewind it, cue it up just right, and that's the, the person, the engineer who's monitoring it, and then have the reader read it back in the right speed, hopefully. If not, you'd have to go back and do it again and end the recording right there. Now... It's easy. All you have to do is highlight what you want and cut it. 
and then replace it with the correction. Uh, I'm very appreciative of that. And um, I'm looking forward, right now I'm doing a lot of magazines, so um, I'm looking forward to getting back to books. Uh, you know, some of the later, latest books I read, very interesting history of Belarus, uh, which I knew nothing about, which is another one of the great uh, advantages of this. You read books, you probably, or in many cases, you probably would have never on your own decided to do. Uh, I, I do like to, you know, pick books at random sometimes for my own reading pleasure, just just to see if, if I like it. And uh, that's kind of like what I'm doing here, except somebody's handing me the books. And uh, I, you know, I don't know, I, I started off, I did, I've done a lot of children's books, um, Mostly nonfiction. Read about animals. Read about uh, scientists or building a bridge. That kind of thing. And I feel very gratified with that because I think especially very young people really benefit from reading. I've known people that didn't really do much reading until they were adults. And uh, I started when I was very young. My mother was a teacher. Uh, and she had me learning, you know, A for Apple, this and that. And she said I was a terrible student, but when I left her and would go out and play with my friends, I'd be repeating all the lessons uh, by rote. So something must have sunk in. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, beca I, came, I became this. Well, as Ray pointed out, I'm lousy at math, so I couldn't really do any science. Uh, but I did like to read about it. I don't know how many of you folks uh, have read um, uh, Stephen Jay Gould. He's a wonderful nature writer. Yes, and he, he wrote for uh, Natural History magazine for decades until he passed away, unfortunately. And, uh, but speaking of early, uh, you know, inspirations, uh, I first became a real actor that really, you know, acted on stage. I was C4 Cowboy in the first grade. And uh, <laughs> I wondered why everybody was laughing at me. I, was, I thought I was doing a perfectly good imitation of a cowboy riding a Bronco and waving his uh, lasso. Uh, so, you know, then I, I got into that uh, that way. And years later, years went by, and then I did become an actor. I don't know if anybody has any specific questions about... Um, no questions? Oh, we'll take them later. Okay. We're going to take them later. I'll okay. Finish your okay. presentation. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I jumped the gun there. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you all for your...
kindness and attention and stick with the program. We really, really need that. And if you're, you yourself are sighted, I'm sure you have. Obviously, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. So I'm trying to encourage people to, if they're sighted, tell their friends. Anyhow, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Listen, I, I am as sorry as anyone. Unfortunately, we are not going to have time for questions this morning. However, Gary will be speaking this afternoon at 1.30 in Highland A as part of the Library Users of America program. That's here in the convention center, lower level. So uh, please take an opportunity if you'd like to uh, talk with him, ask him some questions. Uh, that'll be a, an opportunity to do that. And by the way, as we've been campaigning, one of the stats I've heard Dan Spoon talk about, and I think it's amazing, there are like 600,000 people signed up for the Talking Book program. That's amazing. Great program. We need to stick with it. All right. As I, for, as, uh, as, as Will Shell makes his way up to the uh, microphone from the FCC, I want to just take a minute and uh, give a, it will, give a, um, Shout out, and let's give a big ACB thank you to the police officers out here who have been helping us out. <laughs> and to those officers, if you're in the sound of my voice or any law enforcement, thank you for your service. All right. When I read this next piece of the program, I said, wow, this sounds like a dream world. Audio description, accessible TVs, set-top boxes, menus, and uh, uh, program guides. Sounds like a dream world of, of great accessibility. Well, maybe we're getting closer there. And to talk about the role that uh, the Federal Communications Commission may be playing, is playing in some of that work, gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, from the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau of the, of the FCC, uh, Disability Rights uh, Attorney Advisor, a uh, guy we've heard speak at uh, the D.C. Leadership Conference the last couple of years. He's a great speaker, has a lot to offer us. Give an ACB warm welcome to Will Shell. Thank you. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, hello, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Will Shell, and uh, I'm a blind attorney in the Federal Communications Commission's Disability Rights Office. <laughs> and I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and we're already behind. <laughs> so um, I, I'm really happy to be here. I've, uh, I, I've spoken a couple of times to ACB uh, a couple of years ago at, at this uh, same convention and then at the leadership conference. And it's always a pleasure to speak to everybody. There's a lot of rules that the FCC has. And I'm going to cover them very lightly and what I want to emphasize the most if I can, if I can give anything to, to, to the audience and anyone listening is that you have to let people know that these things exist. I think the biggest barrier to gaining accessible telephones and TVs is knowing that they exist. <clears throat> so let me just run through some of the highlights. Um, for some people who may not know, the Federal Communications Commission regulates televisions and telephones. Um, 
those arenas. Uh, the Disability Rights Office of the FCC focuses on making sure that people with disabilities have access to the television and the telephone networks. The two things are constantly evolving and we need constant interaction from the disability community uh, for us to stay up to date. Federal agencies like the FCC do not make the rules on their own. They make rules with comments from, uh, from the public and from industry and from interested parties. The national leaders at ACB have been a consistent voice at the FCC. Uh, they inform us about the needs of the blind and visually impaired community. Um, and uh, people like Kim and Clark and Eric and Tony and Claire and of course uh, Joel Snyder and Carl Richardson uh, are, are consistently in uh, the FCC's ear telling us what, what we should be doing. And we appreciate it. We actually can't thank them enough. Um, and also many other people in this room or who may be listening. Um, have filed comments in our open, open proceedings. Filing comments with us on open proceedings is one way of keeping the FCC's attention on the blind and visually impaired community. The other is by filing complaints. Uh, you can file complaints with the FCC uh, on any of these rules that I'm going to uh, cover. Uh, and I'm calling on all of you today to file complaints if you cannot find the answers that you need or if you cannot find uh, um, the, the solutions that you believe should exist. Um, you can also uh, contact our office and we will talk through what the rules are and whether or not they may apply. So, we have various rules <laughs> regarding accessibility, uh, of TVs, telephones, and other devices that use advanced communication services or play video programming. For example, telecommunications devices have to be accessible. They have to be compatible with accessibil uh, accessibility uh, devices like braille displays, and they have to be usable in that you can read the instruction manual in an accessible format. We have rules that require captioning on TV, of course, and on the internet. Uh, we have rules that require text messaging and email and instant messaging be accessible. We have rules that require internet browsers on mobile phones be accessible. We have rules that require emergency information uh, uh, be accessible on TV and on mobile phones. And that's just the uh, a few of the, uh, uh, of the rules that we uh, work on. So let's talk a little bit in more detail about some of our rules. And uh, I always like to talk about emergency information. Uh, so if you are blind and watching television and you hear that emergency information noise, uh, oftentimes it's three beeps, um, you may want to turn to the secondary audio stream. The secondary audio stream plays audio description and it also plays foreign language audio tracks. 
uh, that secondary audio stream also reads out loud the emergency information, which is scrolling along the bottom of the screen. And I don't have to tell you that sometimes this information is important. We all need to know when there's an emergency and if we should take action. Now, the traditional TV is evolving. <laughs> People are watching video programming in all sorts of different ways now. And we want to make sure that the emergency information is able to follow along however we're watching TV. Uh, one example is that cable, satellite, and fiber TV services are required to pass through a secondary audio stream containing audible emergency information when they allow their customers to access regular television programming on a second screen device. This is a slightly legal way of saying if you're watching TV on your tablet, they, uh, the, the provider, uh, if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're watching a cable on a tablet, the, the cable company has to send the emergency information through your tablet as well uh, if there's, if there's uh, uh, an emergency alert. So second screen devices are like a tablet. Um, blind and visually impaired customers should have access to the same emergency information that is presented visually. And many people... Thanks. I, I agree. Yes. <laughs> Many people are watching uh, TV on the smartphones and tablets and, um, and, and all sorts of other ways. And the rule that we have specifically requires that the cable and satellite companies send that information through to the, through to the uh, tablet and smartphone. And it's important to note that there is, our rules have limitations. And this is why I, I want to, this is an example of why I want you to reach out and contact the FCC um, if you have questions about, about particular things. So for example, this rule is only applicable to cable or satellite companies' own network. Like if you are watching a TV show in your own home, on the broadband connection provided by that same cable company. It does not apply to you watching TV programming in a Starbucks on the Starbucks network. Uh, so there's some particular requirements of our rules, but if you're watching your cable company service in your home on the cable company's broadband connection, then they have to provide uh, the emergency information through the secondary audio stream in an accessible manner. So, now I want to remind everyone about the FCC's rules that require set-top boxes to be accessible and also the rules that require other devices that play video programming to be accessible. So, I'm going to talk about them in two, two separate contexts. So, in this context, we're talking about accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired and being able to operate all or nearly all of the functions of that device. That includes the settings and the menus and the channel selection and so on. So most of this is accomplished through a speech synthesizer on the, on the device. 
but um, it can be done in other ways. I haven't, I haven't seen it in other ways. So let's start off with the rules regarding accessible set-top boxes for cable, satellite, and fiber TV services. Uh, if you subscribe to a cable or satellite or fiber TV service, they must provide an accessible set-top box experience to people who are blind or visually impaired right now. That is all of them. All cable, satellite, and fiber TV services. Except for a very tiny amount. <laughs> so all of them, except for a few extremely small analog-only rural cable companies, which no one's ever... No one has them. But... Um, so... In general, all cable companies have to have an accessible set-top box, and if a blind or visually impaired customer requests an accessible set-top box, the cable company has to provide it at no additional charge. So if you are paying $50 a month for your uh, cable service and you request an accessible set-top box, you should continue to pay $50 a month even if the box that they have to provide you is a very fancy, very expensive box. Yeah, I, <laughs> and from some of the complaints that I've uh, received, this can actually be difficult for the cable companies to do. Um, so if you are getting extra charges um, and you believe that you shouldn't be getting those, um, then you can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and I'll give you my contact information. We can try to work through whether or not it's, co it's covered under, under our rules. So... Um, the cable companies uh, and satellite and fiber TV companies, they also have to make getting this accessible box generally easy to get. They have to have an accessible website that lists who you can speak to to find out more information. That person has to be able to explain how to get one of these devices and, and also how to use the accessible functions on the device. The rules sound great. It's a harder to do in practice, but um, if you're running into trouble, again, you should reach out to the cable, satellite, and fiber company, push them, ask them. The, a lot of them have accessible numbers that will definitely explain how to use this stuff. Some of them don't have uh, an easy to contact, uh, as easy of a person to contact, um, but you should reach out to them, ask them the questions if they can't answer. Uh, the questions, you should feel free to reach out to me and we can, we, can keep, we can keep searching. Many of these cable and satellite companies are demonstrating their accessible user interfaces out in the vendor area and you should talk to them and tell them what you think. Over the last year or so, I've received complaints about accessible set-top boxes and uh, just uh, what was just said was uh, things are getting better. They are available. Um, the biggest question is, do people know that they're available? People in this room are informed, but there are uh, many, many more people who don't know that they could have an accessible set-top box. So inform your neighbors and friends. Let them know that these things exist. Yes, sir. Uh, oh, now, the cable companies have some flexibility on how they can achieve the accessible user interfaces. Some companies have a set-top box. Others use an accessible tablet app uh, that controls the set-top box. Others have different add-ons. And, and, and the cable companies are allowed to do this. 
at the end of the day, though, these have to be usable. So if you're unsure <laughs> if uh, your cable or satellite company's accessible solution meets our rules, feel free to call me or file a complaint, and we will uh, we'll work out to figure out whether or not it complies. The other set of accessible user interface rules covers other devices that play video programming, right? So we're going to set the cable company and satellite and fiber companies aside now, and we're going to talk about other video programming devices. These are things like TVs or smart TVs or tablets or smartphones or removable media players um, like Apple TV and Roku and Amazon Fire Sticks. This includes computers, right? Computers can play video programming. Anything that plays video programming. My favorite is the smart refrigerator. If your smart refrigerator can play video programming, then it's covered under our rules. If your smart refrigerator can play video programming, then it has to have accessible controls for you to manipulate the playback of video programming on it. And, uh, oh, another favorite is rear entertainment systems and the headrests of cars. Those play video programming. They have to have accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually or, and impaired. <laughs> so, I'm sure that within the next year, they will be putting video programming devices inside of other devices, and it will, it will just continue to be you know, a, a, a stranger and stranger world, and we have to stay on those companies to make sure that they're making those accessible. Um, so the accessibility rules apply to these devices uh, and to any of the pre-installed apps on the video players that come with the device. Uh, it also applies to any apps or players that the manufacturer directs the user to go and download. Um, it does not, our rules do not, the accessibility rules do not apply just to any app that you can get on there. It's only the ones that are pre-installed or that you're told to go and download. Uh, but many of these devices come with hundreds of pre-installed apps. These devices must be accessible if they were manufactured on or after December 20th, 2016. So they have been... Uh, uh, that that, that date is already gone. So the new devices, the accessible devices, they're here, and you can find them uh, all over the place. Um, you can find accessible televisions from multiple manufacturers right in the store. You can find accessible DVD players and VHS players. If you're into VHS, you can get an accessible VHS player. It plays video programming. has to have accessible uh, features. Most of these are not special disability devices. They're the same devices that you buy in the store, but you should check with the manufacturer to make sure that you're buying an accessible device. They're, the manufacturers are not required to make every device accessible. So check before you buy, check with your friends, read the reviews, go to the store and use the remote, do that sort of thing. But I always like to emphasize that this is not a small thing. 
People who are blind and visually impaired watch just as much video programming as sighted people do, and we pay significant amounts of money for these devices and for the subscription services, and TV and video programming is completely intertwined with our society and culture. So at the end, uh, 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 let me, I'll just say that all of these devices must have also a simple and easy to use mechanism in order to turn on and off the secondary audio stream. This is something like a button, key, or icon. Uh, if you cannot turn on the secondary audio stream quickly, you will not be able to listen to the emergency information announcement. Uh, and if you can't turn it on and off, you also won't be able to hear audio description. Now, speaking of audio description, uh, right now the FCC has rules which require the most popular channels to have, uh, they have to provide described video on the secondary audio stream. You all are an audience that is probably familiar with described video. However, if you're not, very quickly, described video is audio narrated descriptions of a television program's key visual elements. These short verbal descriptions of action or key visual scenes in a program, such as the setting co or costumes, facial expressions, they're provided to add context. These descriptions are inserted into the pauses within a program's dialogue. And normally, you listen to the description by turning on the secondary audio stream. I always like to explain what audio description is because you may be surprised at how many people who are blind or visually impaired have never used it and don't know how to find it. So our rules right now require that the local TV station affiliates of ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC which are located in the top 60 television markets, that they have to provide 50 hours per calendar quarter of described, uh, uh, of a video described prime time or, and or children's programming. Also, the top five non-broadcast networks, which are Discovery, uh, History Channel, TBS, HGTV and USA, they also must provide 50 hours per quarter of video described primetime and or children's programming. All of those networks also have to provide 37 and a half hours per quarter of audio description between the hours of 6 a.m. and midnight in addition to the 50 hours of primetime and children's. So that's about a total of seven hours per week. So it's a complicated uh, math way of saying about seven hours per week of audio description for all of those channels. And there's a number of channels and networks that provide audio description without our rules. So our, our, our office also uh, uh, administers uh, one of our favorite programs, uh, the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program, also known as I Can Connect. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we always like to mention it. It is one of the uh, best programs, um, and we're very proud. It's a $10 million a year program that distributes telecommunications equipment to people who are low income and who are deafblind. 
uh, many of the people in this room work on the NDBEDP program. And um, I just want to reiterate that uh, it is now a permanent program. Uh, for quite a long time, it was a pilot program, and it's totally permanent now. So with that, I will give my name, my uh, contact information, and uh, let you all <laughs> take a break as, as you need. So if you want to email me with questions about the disability rights rules, I'm sorry? Oh, no. Oh. You can um, email me at will.shell at FCC.gov. That's W-I-L-L dot S-C-H-E-L-L at FCC.gov. You can also send questions to D-R-O at FCC.gov. That's the Disability Rights Office email. Uh, we can help you file a complaint. We can answer your questions. Or you can go to our website, which has tons of information about these rules, uh, fcc.gov slash disability. Finally, if you want, uh, I, finally, I want to invite you to monitor our disability rights activities. Uh, you can see what the Disability Rights Office is doing uh, and be informed about open proceedings that you can file comments on. We don't send out too many emails, but we have a listserv. It's not, uh, you won't be bombarded with emails, but it is you can send the word subscribe to accessinfo at fcc.gov. And uh, I will also be at this afternoon's um, sessions, and I'll be around the conference for the next uh, couple of days. And I hope to see you uh, all around there and talk to you about all of our various rules and, and things like that. So thanks very much. <laughs> Will, uh, thank you. Yeah. Oops, sorry. sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Thank you, Will. And um, again, he will be speaking this afternoon in the Lilac Ballroom at 2.45 at the audio description um, event. So if you would like to uh, have some dialogue. And as he said, he'll be around you know, in the next couple of days. So uh, if we can give you the opportunity. Morning, everybody. There just, she is. Yep. Morning, Just Janet. a few, few quick announcements and information. I understand that yesterday after the scholarship presentation when photography was going on, there was some, a lot of conversation, getting everyone located, getting everyone organized, and our students were so enthusiastic and connecting with each other. And I do apologize if there was a little disruption during Hannah Fairburn's um, presentation. And we are going to look into how we do our photography for our scholarships in the future. Uh, next thing, we will ha we do have three tickets left for the Niagara Falls tour. If anyone is interested, it is not true that you can't take a guide dog to Niagara Falls. If your dog doesn't like water, you might not want to take them to Niagara Falls. But I took my dog last fall, and she did great. So you can certainly take your dog there. As for the shuttles, I have now been asked that you contact the hotel because the shuttles go out of the two different hotels, so we need to maintain lists at both hotels and let them know that, that you want to shuttle two hours before your flight leaves. So if you have an 11 a.m. flight, tell the desk that you have to leave at 9 a.m. for the airport and give them the date and time. Uh, today's special at the cafe is curried chicken with 
basmati rice sounds really good. The cafe does close at 3 p.m. today because of the auction and the cash and carry line there at the auction. Uh, lost and found. Someone left their diabetic supplies at one of the dog relief areas, so please go to the information desk. Ellen Mulder, we have some medication for you. We have two cardigans, one black, one, I, I was not given the color, but it was left in the GDUI meeting room. They're both at the information desk. Uh, we have a cane. We have a case with iPad cables, not an iPad. We also still have the house keys. And I was told that a braille display or some kind of device was left at the IRA um, party last night. If someone has missing something, come and see me at the volunteer desk regarding that. Banquet tickets need to be purchased before the end of the day today. Registration closes at 3 p.m., so make sure you get your banquet ticket before then and make your banquet table reservation at the information desk. Again, tables of eight. Uh, give your all the names and a contact name and phone number to Vicki. And a reminder, the Apple presentation is today at 1.15, also in Lilac Ballroom South prior to the audio description sessions. That's all I have, so, right. All right, thank, thank you, Janet. Good morning, ACB. Hey, I want to let you all know that ICB, Illinois Council of the Blind, would like to give you cash. At the end of the summer, our 50-50 uh, raffle, raffle, we're selling tickets now. You can see me and the Illinois delegation, second table from the back on the left-hand side, or Tom Jones, and buy a ticket. It is five for 20, one for $5, and you could win cash at the end of this summer. So, good way to finish off your summer. Also want to let you know that we have our... Uh, lunch coolers that are available on our website, icbonline.org, as well as our coasters. You can check those out as well. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Um, let's see, do we have any other announcements? Amanda Sell, mic number four. Go ahead. Oh, you're on. You're loud, you're loud and clear, Amanda. Thank you. Good morning, ACB. Wanted to just say a quick thank you to everyone who came out to our ACB Next Generation meet and greet last night. You all should be very proud. We had a total of 22 new names and numbers. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much to Ankar from Hawaii, my husband Matt from Kentucky, for helping me get the contact information and making sure that everyone felt welcome last night. Um, wanted to let you know that if you were not able to make it last night, or if you would like further information about ACB Next Generation, you may feel free to contact me by phone. My number is 502-750-1774. And my email is A as in Alpha, L as in Lima, S as in Sam, M as in Mary, O as in Oscar, 
O is an Oscar, T is in Tango, the numbers 87 at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions that individuals have and affiliates have. Thank you all so much for your support. Thank you, Amanda. We talk about getting ACB younger. This is one of the ways we're going to get that done. Leslie Spoon, microphone two. You're Thank next. You. Thank you, Mr. Secretary Ray. So tonight is the auction. Everybody come, please. Six o'clock is preview. Now 50, now 50, now 50, now. Yes. Please, please come. Everybody's worked very hard. We have wonderful things. Jewelry, trips, food. Just come and bid. Please, please, please come at 6. Look at the jewelry. Lots of beautiful jewelry. So if you're looking at jewelry, we've got it. So please come at 6. It's in the Hyatt Grand Ballroom. So come at 6. Preview 7 is the actual auction. And come and have fun and show your love for ACB. Thank you. This is Penny Reader from GDY. Hey, Penny. I just want to tell everybody that our suite is in Jordan. That is on the third floor of the Riverside. It's right to the right of the elevators, depending, of course, on which side you get off. But you'll hear us because there's lots of noise because everyone's so happy shopping. We have so many great dog toys. I know your dog will be really thrilled if you come and see us. And if you have a pet at home, just think how happy he'll be to see you when you get back. Um, we also have our raffle tickets. They are available only until tomorrow at 10 a.m. We have three beautiful guide dogs. They're small this year. They come in a gorgeous handmade harness. And uh, raffle tickets are three for five dollars or seven for ten. Um, and that's all I have to say. Remember, it's Jordan. It's on the third floor of the Riverside, uh, and we will be thrilled to see you. Thank you, Ray, and thank you, everybody. Um, I want to remind everyone that we do have a special today. Uh, our power banks are $5 off today, and our 6-foot and 10-foot charging cables are all $14 today. Also, um, please uh, check out also those polo shirts and jackets. They also, uh, the fleece jackets are still on sale. And a lot of things are getting very, very picked over. If you want to um, make sure that you have some of the picture, the future items for the um, the picture in Roch of Rochester, uh, be sure and get to the mini mall quickly because they are selling out. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you in the mini mall. And Mr. Chair, I also mm -hmm. have a reminder about continuing education, if I could please. Yes, please. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I want to remind groups that, to please be sure that you give your continuing education codes. Um, I sent each group who uh, is sponsoring a session that has continuing education, uh, someone in that group uh, has the codes. And the, the person who received it uh, is the person who was on the convention planning committee. If you do not know what the codes are for your sessions, please feel free to contact me. My cell phone number is 502 303 7042. 
and I will be happy to work with you on that. I have been contacted by a couple of people who were in sessions where codes were not given, and that just makes it a little harder to administer the program. So would appreciate your attention to that. Thank you very much. This is Kathy Ger Gerhardt. Uh, I'm with AAVL, that's Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And I wanted to remind everybody that we are having our raffle of one, one ticket is $1, six for $5, and so forth. I am at the West Virginia table, and Jeff Tom, our illustrious president, is at the California table. Peggy Garrett, a um, officer at the Texas table. Carolyn Burley, board of directors at the Ohio table, and others. I would thank you to help our organization get up and running. And again, senior power. Thank you. Mike Cadino, MMS. Uh, yes, we got uh, we, we had a winner last night, and I, I believe I'm looking at it right now. Terry Lynn Higashi. <laughs> That's the MMS table. People are signing up. Please come and visit me over in the exhibit hall. I'm at booth number four, the uh, MMS table. You need to get signed up. Monthly monetary support for ACB. You need to support the organization you live. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Okay, that's all the announcements for now, but we'll take more at the end. Okay, you know, when we come into these sessions in the morning, uh, we get that boost of energy from Marjorie, and she does a great job with that. But when, as we get later in the week, we need a few more of those boosts of energy. Well, the next person, one of the next people up on the agenda, I think who's going to start us off here, gives us a boost of energy, especially when we're talking about audio description. It gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Joel Snyder, the director of ACB's Audio Description Project, Chris Gray from the Audio Description Awards, and Dan Spoon, the chair of the Audio Description Project Committee. Um, go ahead, gentlemen. Good morning, everybody. Is everybody enjoying their audio description in the movies and on television and in performing arts centers? And how about the audio description you're getting to hear on Netflix, on Amazon, on iTunes? We cannot thank enough the wonderful work of the Audio Description Project Committee. I just want to thank the members. We've got about... 10 committee members, and we have 40 subcommittee members. So in, uh, in the honor of brevity, I'm not going to mention all of their names, but I just want to give them a big round of applause and say thank you. A couple of quick highlights, and then I'll turn it over to Chris Gray, who's going to make our audio description project award announcements, and then Joel Snyder to give you a, the voice from our ADP director. One of the things that, and, and it had a lot to do with the wonderful uh, ACV president to my right, Kim Charlson, we have worked and really tried to put the word out across the entire blind and visually impaired community that the next huge step for audio de description is to truly professionalize the industry. 
And in that respect, we have worked very hard over the last year to put a certification process in place. So I'm here today to announce to you that ACV REP has invested $60,000 of their board money to sponsor a two-year project to bring audio description certification to the United States and across the world. Yeah, ACV, yeah. A oh, okay, Kim will help me with, with the initials. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Kim, I'll introduce Kim. She's going to help. We'll share. Okay, we'll share. We'll share. Go ahead, Kim. ACVREP is the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals, ACVREP. I wanted people not to think that it was ACB he was talking about. No, ACV. So, <laughs> ACV. Yes. Yes, <laughs> ACV. That's correct. And... And what's happened with that is what, they've, what we've done, ACV, REP, has formed a certification committee with a, a, uh, a committee of subject matter experts that will spend the next 18, <clears throat> excuse me, 18 to 24 months to come up with the certification process that involves, uh, you know, a whole series of uh, testings and practical experiences, uh, applications, and the chair of the subject matter expert committee will be our own Kim Charlson. So everybody give her a big round of applause. So this is what Kim may be working on when she's done being president of ACV. Uh, <laughs> Also, I just want to mention real quickly what we've been able to accomplish with the great work of Fred Brack as our um, webmaster for the adp.org slash adp website. He has a wonderful set of pages out there that talk about all kinds of uh, functions, including how, how to get good access to your set-top box, to all the DVDs that are available, to all the first-run movies that have come out with audio description. But the crown jewel now of the website is we now have over 2,300 listings of programs and titles that are available in, in audio description. And he lists the genre, he lists the title, and he lists who provides that service, whether it be Netflix, Amazon, iTunes, DVD, or live movie productions. So it's a wonderful resource. I would encourage all of you to go visit acb.org slash ADP and, and learn all you can about audio description. Now I'm going to turn it over to Chris Gray, who's going to give us our Audio Description Project Awards. Let's hear from Chris Gray, Executive Director of the Missouri Council of the Blind. Thank you very much, Dan. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's always exciting to be up here and, and do the wonderful work of giving awards to really outstanding people uh, in the audio description movement. I think back, you know, gosh, when Joel and I were dreaming up the audio description project in 2008, I don't think either of us imagined we'd have a committee working with us of 40 people. It's just amazing. It's amazing. And it shows that audio description is deeply in the hearts of the members of ACB and blind people all over the world. 
I'm delighted to be here today to present the 2019 Achievement Awards in Audio Description, an initiative of the Council's Audio Description Project, often fondly known as ADP. Believe it or not, this is the 11th awards presentation we have made before the American Council of the Blind. So to begin with the awards, we start off with achievement in audio description, performing arts, and the winner of this award, I won't keep you in suspense, is Hunter Gullickson of the Guthrie Theater. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Guthrie Theater is, is well known, it's renowned around the country. They do 50 performances every season that are each audio described and interpreted in American Sign Language as well. 50. I can say more, but Hunter is with us this morning, and I want Hunter to say everything is necessary. So let me turn the microphone over to Hunter Gullickson of the Guthrie Theater. All right, thank you. It's uh, incredible to be here, and I'm flattered. Um, and, you know, I, I see some folks from the Midwest here and, and some familiar faces that uh, I think were at the Guthrie a couple seasons ago in the summer. Um, so it, it's wonderful. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to successfully manage the access programs uh, at the Guthrie without the support and the buy-in of staff, um, the service providers I hire, and uh, all the volunteers um, we're collaborate with, but mostly it's in, and most important, um, it's the patrons we serve. And th these simply, these programs simply wouldn't work and wouldn't be possible without their charge. Um, and, and a personal opinion I have is that, uh, access and accessibility is not a burden or an obligation, um, but an organizational asset, um, that we have. Um, a couple of cool projects that I'm working on is working with um, some schools, some middle schools and high schools, and we're looking at training students um, to uh, do audio description for their peers who have vision loss and are blind. Um, some some exciting things that we're that we're doing there. Um, and then uh, you know, I just think about uh, the lyrics of um, of a songwriter, Dan Wilson, who used to be in Semisonic. <laughs> Yay! Um, and, and one of the songs that he talks about just that there's all kind of beautiful um, and I see that everywhere um, and it makes me think of just the short period that we have here and how it's important for us to take care of each other uh, that's what I've got thank you very much everybody thank you, wonderful yeah. Thanks. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hunter Gullickson of the Guthrie Theater ladies and gentlemen uh Sometimes you have people in the same category and you just have to mention them together or one after another, as the case may be. So we have a category this year for special recognition, uh, achievement in audio description, performing arts. The winner of this award is Montclair State University. And at the university, a group of nine students in the Spanish translation program at, at the university wrote the audio description 
script in Spanish for a play by an author you'll recognize, I'm sure, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It was the first time live audio description in Spanish was offered in a theater in New Jersey, the state of New Jersey. So go New Jersey! Congratulations, Montclair State University, and uh, I believe that uh, Maria Jose Garcia Vizcana is here to re uh, receive the award. So let me turn the microphone over to Maria. Thank you so much. Um, I'm here receiving this award on behalf of my students at Montclair State University in the Department of Spanish and Latino Studies, and I'm going to read their names because unfortunately they couldn't come. Valentina Becerra, Karen Cruz, Joseph Díaz, Vanessa Dután, Beatriz Gamarra, Jennifer Gutiérrez, Colín Orrurque Heredia, Yvonne Reyes, and Vanessa Carrillo, who was the voice talent. This was a very exciting project. Um, as you said, it was the first time that audio description in Spanish was provided for the Latino community in New York. And New Jersey, we did a partnership with an off-Broadway theater in the city, um, Repertorio Español, and we decided to do this uh, play by Gabriel García Márquez, No One Rise to the Coronel, El Coronel No Tiene Quien Le Escriba, because it's a very visual and poetic, symbolic play, so it was perfect for the audio description. My students in my class did everything. They were amazing. They wrote the script, they did the voiceover, they did the community outreach, they did the advertising and marketing, and most importantly, they prepared a beautiful pre-show experience, a tactile experience before the performance, where the, yeah, where the blind uh, people could touch key elements and interact with the main objects of the play. Uh, the reviews were very, very positive, and the feedback from the audience. So we would like to hopefully repeat the experience with another play. And um, it was really uh, an open eye experience for them. They had to write a paper at the end of the semester, a critical reflection on the experience, on the process and the product. And I could see the growth of my students in those writings. They grow professionally, academically, and most important, personally. And this is a way that a curriculum course in a university can be transformed into a community-based project. So it was an amazing experience for the, for the audience, for the students, and for myself. So I just want to thank the uh, American Council of the Blind for this award, this recognition. But most importantly, I want to thank the ACB because of the recognition to the Spanish language. The Spanish language plays a crucial role in this country and the multicultural reality of the United States, and especially for the Latino community in New York and New Jersey. So thank you so much. And Maria, thank you very much. For achievement in audio description media, and you'll understand what the media means in a moment when I tell you, the winner this year is Microsoft Xbox Live. How many out there have Xboxes? All right. There may be more of us soon. You know, only rarely has audio description been used uh, during live events and or broadcasts on television or streamed over the internet. 
Microsoft and Xbox have taken the initiative to make its live, large-scale inside Xbox events um, accessible in real time so that gamers worldwide who are blind or have low vision can participate along with the millions of other Xbox lovers. Inside Xbox, a live broadcast <clears throat> that highlights gaming systems, news, updates, and breaking announcements broadcast its first episode with live audio description in 2018 and it's continued to do so for all similar events since that time. The broadcast was from Mexico City and believe it or not, viewed by a global audience of more than 28 million. Today we have Sean Jordan from Microsoft with us to receive the award. So let me turn the microphone over to Sean. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hi, pleasure. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, on behalf of Microsoft and Xbox, thank you so much for this award and recognition for our work with audio descriptions. Microsoft is such a strong advocate for accessibility, and while the company requires all of our video content to feature descriptive audio, nobody seemed to be able to provide this for live content like my team at Xbox creates. Thanks to a bit of pers uh, persistence and, frankly, just letting it be known how important the service is to us, both personally and professionally, our main captioning service, Vitac, connected with Joel Snyder at Audio Description Associates, and Inside Xbox became the first live Microsoft program to feature descriptive content last November. Since then, the service has been adapted by other Microsoft programming, and working with Joel, we've not only improved the process, but greatly reduced the associated costs. I know we can improve the process even more and make not only our content, but gaming and everything else Microsoft does a better experience for those with low or no vision. It may be a daunting challenge, but I know Microsoft can make it happen. It makes me so proud to work for a company with a shared mission to empower every single person on this planet and not only listen to everyone's voice, but also make sure that nobody is excluded no matter their situation. Being recognized for our work thrills me because I believe it will help amplify that we are offering such services and hopefully inspire others to adopt these practices so that they will become the new normal. We at Xbox are on a journey. We know the road is long, but through these and our efforts on our continued focus on gaming accessibility, we are committed to creating experiences that everyone can enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you, Sean, very much. I may just have to go out and buy me an Xbox. <laughs> All right, now we have uh, the uh, Audio Description Award in the category of Visual Art of a Museum. This is a visitor center, and the recipient of the award is Hannah Goodwin from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, Massachusetts. Accepting for Hannah is him. Uh, I know. She does uh, uh, descriptions of an extensive collection, a st uh, collection that's always there, as well as special exhibitions. Hannah and her team have trained over 50 volunteers on best practices for description, and these volunteers are probably even stronger from the receiving of feedback from blind visitors to the museum. 
Hannah could not be here to accept the award, but somebody we all know is going to do it in her behalf. And ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Kim Charlson. Here's the award. Oh, thank you. There you go. Thank you. Thank you to the Audio Description Project. On behalf of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and Hannah Goodwin and her team, I can speak firsthand that the, the dedication that Hannah and her team place on making the museum experience accessible is first rate. And I know all of my colleagues um, in Massachusetts and the hundreds of visitors that go to the Museum of Fine Art every year know that it's truly an accessible experience. So it'll be my pleasure to take this back to Hannah and we'll, we'll do a, a nice event to honor her there as well. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. <clears throat> For achievement in audio description, the international category. The recipient of this award is Vera Arma. And uh, Vera demonstrates a strong commitment to the use of audio description throughout Italy, the country of Italy. She does both television and cinema, uh, and she works especially through a movie reading application. The Arts Project Group, with public institutions and private uh, associations managed to get approval in 2017 for a law under which all Italian movies shall have accessible audio description. Between 2017 and 2019, Arts Project Audio described 500 movies. They widened research, which is so important, and they held the first uh, Italian, uh, she has the first Italian PhD in the language of filmic audio description. That's a new word for me, filmic, that's cool. So thank you, Vera Arma, so very much for your work, and people in Italy are lucky to have you there. And she's caught up at the airport, so... She was going. I will give the award to her. She was going to be here. She's on her way, and she got caught at the airport. Hopefully, there might be a moment for her to say hello at, at some point. We'll see. Now we have the Dr. M Margaret Fanstill Memorial uh, Award, and this award we we choose to provide for the field of research and development. The winner of the award is Dr. Brett Opregard. And in 2014, he, he was lucky enough, or unlucky enough as the case may be, to receive a box full of 400 brochures. And the federal government asked him to get these brochures all for the National Park Service into audio-described form. Now think about park brochures. They're very visual. They're, they're trying to convey a lot by pictures. And yet, those brochures are the most looked at e event of anyone who visits a national park. That's where they start with the brochure. So the uh, group he worked with created 
a uni description project. And uh, you can go and check this out at www.unidescription.org. And they now have descriptions on that website for over 60 parks around the, uh, around the U.S. So our park visits can be pretty good. We can prepare ahead of time and so forth, and that's a great thing. Dr. Tom Conway is here today to accept the award on behalf of Dr. Opregard. Tom? Thank you very much. And uh, Brett wishes he could be here, um, but after hearing that 21 members of the Hawaii chapter actually made it, I think he's going to have to rethink that excuse. (laughs) If you'd like to find out more about our project, we are in the exhibition hall at booth 38, and we'd love to have you come by and download the app and use it. I would also really like to thank the ACB for their cooperation. We partnered with them for testing out the app on the actual sites within the Park Service. It's been a big benefit, and we've really greatly enhanced the project. I just want to really thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. What is that, Booth Tom? 28? 30. 30. All right, so go and check out Booth 38. Sounds like fun. And we wind up now with the Barry Levine Career Achievement in Audio Description Award. And this year, it's being awarded to someone who we've already heard a lot about Minneapolis, but now we're going to hear from and about John Scollin, also of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Making the arts accessible in Minneapolis, but not just Minneapolis, he's become the key go-to person in the whole state of Minnesota. His career spans over 20 years. He crafted the Accessible Arts Calendar, a calendar that's relied upon uh, by people all around uh, Minnesota. He does descriptions for deafblind, which is not common. He also provides transportation for out-of-town events. John makes funding available for organizations who want to provide audio description, which is a good thing, and it shows the kind of role he plays, an overarching role in audio description in Minnesota. He's here with us today to accept the award, John Scollin. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I think for me... The importance of audio description comes down to this. It gives me and my blind friends the information we need to be included in our understanding of the play, the film, the art exhibit, the way a room is laid out so we can find what what is there. The visual, just as the verbal, the words to describe, the words spoken. We want all the facts, (laughs) ma'am. Blind. (laughs) And that's what audio description gives us. So in Minnesota, hearing from people who are blind, what they want to see, how they want it described, has been very important to building a system where you can find out in our accessible arts calendar and many other ways what's coming up so you can be included in the fun. 
My love of theater has been greatly enhanced by knowing Eric and Rachel and Juliet and so many other blind friends who, with the gift of audio description, are included in the audience as actors in the Americans with Disabilities who have this right of communication. Thank you to ACB and the Audio Description Project and all the wonderful accessibility coordinators like Hunter at the Guthrie and all the people who are blind who discover the worlds that Audio Description can open to them and who ask for that service, who call up their theater and ask for it, who say, I'm blind, I can use Audio Description, when can you provide it, please? Thanks! I and 26.9 million of my closest friends are ready to be in your audience. Thanks to all of you for joining our Advocacy for Audio Description team. Thank you. Thank you. All right, here you go, John. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The best of the very best for 2019. We seem to get more and more nominations for awards, and I wish we could give an award to just about every nominee who comes to the committee because they're all truly fantastic. They're all enriching our lives every day. We thank winners and non-winners, and we'll have more of the best of the best for you in 2020. Remember, if you want to hear more about these awardees and about audio description, go to www acb.org slash ADP. You'll love the site if you've never been there. Thank you very much. Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And let's have another round of applause for the 2019 Audio Description Award winners. And I, you know, I'm one of those... Um, sighted people who are uh, I'm, I'm, I have that disability you know I'm dependent on light um, so you know bear with me but, but one advantage of that is that I just spotted coming into the room our international achievement award winner Vera Armour come on up here Vera thank you for this opportunity Thank you, Joel, for this uh, wonderful uh, award, which really marks um, a step in the history of the um, media accessibility in Italy. So I'm very proud to receive this award from you. And I have to tell you that it's because of you, Joel, that I started my career in audio description. So I want this wonderful audience to know a little bit about the story uh, of that. Uh, it was about uh, in 2006, I think, we were in Vienna, and I was there for a totally different uh, occasion. I was there to present a paper on re-speaking, on media accessibility, uh, and I forgot the room where I was supposed to go, so I entered, uh, I made a mistake, and I went into a room where Joel was giving a speech about audio description, and I was really enchanted by his wonderful voice, I'm sure you all are. So I decided that audio description would be um, what I wanted to do. So thank you, Joel. And <laughs> I want to share this prize with, um, with all my team. 
a team of wonderful people who work day after day with me and uh, with Artist Project to, to make uh, media accessibility in Italy not just a dream. So a team of wonderful audio describers and people who strive every day to make this dream come true. So thank you, thank you again. Okay. Well, I'm so glad Vera made it here. She's just great and she's done wonderful things in Italy. Yes, yes. And I just did a mic drop, literally. Okay, hello. <laughs> Let me plug that back in there. Yeah, right, Snyder out. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I know we're running long. I'll try to be brief, which is very much not like me. But in any event, this is the 11th time I have had the honor of speaking to you uh, and to, to at, at convention here. The Audio Description Project is 10 years old. We are in our 11th year. Yes. Almost, <laughs> Ray says, we're almost at puberty. <laughs> Is that a good thing? I don't, I'm not sure. Thank you, Ray. Uh, <laughs> we are really the, ma <laughs> the <laughs> we are the major description promotion and production initiative, and we wouldn't be anywhere had we not uh, been developed under the leadership of Kim Charlson, president of the American Council of the Blind, and Dan Spoon, chair of the Audio Description Project Steering Committee, and Chris Gray, and Mitch Pomerantz. They've all been extremely supportive. I just want to highlight a couple of things we've done over the years. Every other year we have the Audio Description Project Conference. 2019, this is an off year for us, but this afternoon we have a, in the off years we have a, a little mini conference, if you will, targeted to the specific needs and concerns of audio description consumers, ACB members. We're in Lilac Ballroom South, right underneath this room. So if you haven't signed up already, come join us. We start at 2.45 and it goes till just about 6. It, it packed with information. Will Shell will be with us again. Every year we conduct two audio description institutes, one during convention and another in Washington uh, in conjunction with the mid-year meeting. And starting tomorrow through Friday, three grueling days for uh, 16 prospective audio describers and it's our 16th institute under the ACB. How about that? We've been going gangbusters. Dan mentioned our magnificent website, which all credit due to Fred Brack, our webmaster. I've got to mention one thing, though. You know, you may not be aware that when you look up DVDs with description on our website, you can click on one of them and you will be transported immediately to another to Amazon world if you will and you can buy that DVD automatically be assured of getting the version that has audio description and the kicker is that every time you do that ACB gets a small portion of each sale and in in the in the last 10 years we've we've garnered $10,000, over $10,000 just from that little, those people clicking through there. So as I oftentimes will say, buy your DVD and then buy, you know, a car or something. Because I think we get 
I think we get a better percentage, Kim, if, if, if somebody buys a car. Anyway, a great website. I'm not going to go over what, what Dan said. Uh, you can find out what's going on on television right now, what's in the movie theaters, what's in your live theaters, in museums, park service sites, all over. Um, we've been fortunate the last several years to have grants from the DC-8 Association for the Blind. I have to mention that. We did a, an audio-described tour of the United States Holocaust Memorial and Museum. We did a wonderful project at Arena Stage where every performance of two different productions was had audio description available. And right now, we have an award from DCA to develop an audio-described tour of the Smithsonian Institutions. Are, yeah, wait, wait for it, wait for it, of the Smithsonian Institutions Insect Zoo. <laughs> so, Exactly. <laughs> there, there's Ray Campbell again. He says the whole nation is a buzz. It's true. What would we do without Ray here? We'd probably do a lot more with that. No, no, no. I, I do want to mention, too, that uh, several of us connected with uh, ACB, myself, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, Carl Richardson, um, uh, Tony Stevens, are a part of the FCC's uh, Disability Advisory Committee. And I'll tell you, just recently, we've been working closely with them to stress the need for a national computer-based system for tracking television broadcasts with description. And we are getting ever closer to it. Uh, and, and thanks to uh, their work and, and the cooperation with the broadcasters as well. The other thing I think we're getting close to is the FCC, and this may seem minor, but I don't think it is. I think the FCC is about to abandon the phrase video description and instead call what we do, what we've always called it since 1981, audio description. That's what we do. We love WGBH, but what we do is not DVS, it's audio description. So I think that's an important move. Um, and we've also told the FCC that we want more audio description. And that, that may be up to Congress, and hopefully in the next few years we'll get the Communications Video and Accessibility Act 2.0 and, and boost the amount of hours that are required. Yes, that's a big goal, and we're shooting for it. Um, we talked about, uh, Dan talked about our great certification program. I also have to mention one of our fun programs. Uh, thanks to Susan Glass, who's here, I know. Uh, we have had great success with our program aimed at encouraging young people to use and write about audio description. The baddies, the benefits of audio description in education. We give awards to young blind kids who write us a review of a described program, and they are into it. Let me tell you, all over the country, we get submissions. It's been great. And uh, all over the world, by the way, we've been par partnering with the World Blind Union. We just recently released a uh, landmark survey of member nations uh, regarding the state of audio description in 70 member countries. So we, yeah, that, that we did, we developed this survey in English, Spanish, French, and Portuguese. It's great. It's on our website. So don't forget about that. Uh, I will mention one other thing that I'm proud of. The ACB publication, uh, which <clears throat> is my book, the, audio, the Visual Made Verbal, a comprehensive training manual and guide to the history and applications of audio description, is available now as an audio book through the National Library Service, in text, in Braille, 
Are you ready for that? It takes up a whole bookshelf. Um, it's in the ACB Mini Mall, and it's been published in Russian, Portuguese, Polish, and uh, Maria Jose, you'll be glad to know, uh, a Spanish translation is underway even as we speak. So I am uh, really excited about that. The last thing I'll leave you with is just to encourage you, if you haven't signed up already, tomorrow night, 7.30, we've got a, a little tradition of every ACB convention showing the, the best picture Academy Award winner with description. Tomorrow, 7.30, Green Book in the Hyatt Regency A and B. Don't miss it. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks, all. All right. Hey, Joel. Okay. All right. Great work going on in the audio description. And I can assure all of you, when you come to the 2020 convention in Chicago, we have lots of described opportunity, video or audio description opportunities there. So uh, we'll certainly work with uh, the convention committee to make some of those available, hopefully. All right. We're running a little behind, but that's, that's okay. We need to hear about all these things. Um, next, we're going to hear about something called the Able account. What could that possibly be? Well, here to tell us all about the Able account, how it works, and how you might be able to take advantage of it, it gives me great pleasure to bring the the man who wears, wears many hats, uh, Mark Reichert, uh, Director of Public Policy for the National Disability Institute. Mark. Good morning, ACB. Is it still morning? God knows. Yes. Uh, I think most of you do know me, um, and you, one of the things you know about me for sure is that I'm a talker, since I know that we're running late today, and I have a few remarks for you, but I want to give you the bottom lines up front, all right? Um, so the first bottom line is that uh, my name is Mark Reichert, and as Ray uh, indicated, I work as the public policy director for something called the National Disability Institute, or NDI. If you want to learn more about NDI, and I hope you do, I would go to nationaldisabilityinstitute.org, nationaldisabilityinstitute.org. If you want to learn more about the ABLE Act and anything that I say piques your interest about that, there is no better resource, I would argue, on the planet for how to begin your quest to learn about it, to have some of your more complex questions about it answered, or to get a referral to other folk who can tell you all about it. There's a ton of accessible videos up there. There's a ton of material up there and lots of resources. The, re the website you ought to visit is that of the so-called ABLE National Resource Center. And that website is ABLE, A-B-L-E, ABLE, N-R-C, dot O-R-G, ABLE, A-B-L-E, N-R-C, .org, ablenrc.org. 
the ABLE National Resource Center is, in fact, a, a subsidiary, essentially. It's a project, really, of the National Disability Institute. NDI's been around for about 15 years or so. And uh, in, in some ways, if you're really familiar with the work of the American Foundation for the Blind, then you might have some kind of a glimpse of exactly what National Disability Institute, or NDI, is all about. NDI is very much a think tank, a repository and creator of research and data and analysis. Obviously, in my case, it's about policy formula formulation and implementation, for sure. But uh, NDI also does an awful lot of technical assistance in the ed in the employment and vocational rehabilitation space. And obviously, for today's purposes, a lot of work promoting this thing called able accounts and what and uh, the economic self sufficiency of all people uh, with with disabilities. So, those are the bottom line upfront comments. Now let's try to mix it up. All right. I uh, think that we, we talk an awful lot about uh, issues that are important to all of us all the time, and especially issues that are very much pocketbook-related issues, right? We just had a wonderful conversation all this morning about technology and the benefits of it. Is that stuff cheap? Right. No matter how accessible that stuff is, no matter how wonderful the companies are, it ain't cheap. Uh, how many of you either are current, by applause, how many of you are or ever were on some sort of social security benefit? That ought to tell you something. I'm not going to give you in a presentation at whatever we are at now, 11.20 something in the morning on a, is it Tuesday? It's still Tuesday. I'm not going to give you a lot of statistics, but I'm going to drop one on you. Did you know, maybe you did, that the poverty rate among people with disabilities is two and one-half times that of the general population? Two and a half times that of the general population. That's, I'm talking about, that's the poverty rate. I'm not talking about you know, getting into other details about how much money do you have in the bank or how are we doing, do, do people with disabilities earn as much as folks without disabilities? I mean, we know, or we think we know, a lot of information about all of that. But just, just begin to get your mind around that one statistic. I would argue to each and every one of you, and quite frankly, having worked in the blindness world for 25 years, and yes, I'll admit to you, I miss it terribly. I miss it every day. But the thing that makes me inspired about getting up every morning and going to work for a, an organization like National Disability Institute, and for a gentleman named Michael Morris, who's my direct boss, who had this vision for trying to get the world to see, especially the disability community, that you know something? We can talk about accessibility, we can talk about vocational rehabilitation, we can talk about support services, we can talk about Medicare until we are blue in the face. But if we don't do something to address the fact that all of this stuff costs all of us a ton of money, not just public dollars, but out of our own pockets, 
and that people with disabilities deserve better and need better, and that if we don't address this fundamental issue of poverty among our own people, we're not going anywhere. Does anybody agree with me out there? Thanks for agreeing with me. <laughs> but it's a challenge. There's a lot of strategies to try to address that fundamental issue. The one that I want to encourage each and every one of you today to consider and to think about and to talk to your friends and family about and to help us at NDI get the word out about is about this thing called ABLE accounts. Now, I just want to do a Thing, a little, 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 little bit of applause. Um, how many of you have ever heard of something called ABLE accounts? Excellent. How many of you think that you know how ABLE accounts work if you're on Social Security? Okay, I want to hire every last one of those applause uh, folk to be our next... Uh, uh, to be our next ambassadors, because you, you all, uh, if you are truly if, uh, one of those experts, good for you. Um, I, I just simply want to say to you that a lot of folks in this country are not aware of ABLE accounts. Essentially, I'll give you, it, this is a gross generalization, but there are really two groups of folks who can really benefit from ABLE accounts. First of all, ABLE accounts are things that are, they are, they are essentially savings and investment accounts into which money can be placed that does not count against your assets for purposes of being on programs like SSI and Medicaid. So in other words, on SSI, if you want to get that monthly cash benefit, you can't have any more than $2,000 worth of assets. You get more than that, you lose your benefits. And ultimately, you keep that sort of thing up, and uh, you may ultimately, depending on what your assets are, uh, you're going to lose Medicaid coverage. In an ABLE account, you can save up to $15,000 a year, and that money does not count against your eligibility for those kinds of benefits. And indeed, if you find a way to, to work and your employer makes contributions to that account, you could even save a little more than 15000 Who can contribute to those accounts? Just about anybody. You might say, this, this is great, Mark. Uh, like the idea of ABLE accounts, I don't have a dime. Um, where's this money going to come from? Uh, family? Friends? Perhaps your house of worship? Anyone uh, that you know that's in your network can contribute to an ABLE account. And as I say, there are rules pertaining to how an employer can make contributions to that ABLE account. I don't want to get into the details because we'd be here all day. You want to find more about that? You go to that website. What's that website? ablenrc.org. So that's one group of people. Who are the other groups of... Who's, who, the, let's talk about the other group of people. So let's say, you know what, you say, Mark, uh, this is an interesting presentation, and I wish you would do this presentation just for folks on Social Security or who are on SSI or, or otherwise participating in means-tested programs because I, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I've, I've got a job, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know what? ABLE accounts are for you, too. Because that money that accumulates in ABLE accounts, just like it can be for folks who are on SSI or Medicaid, that money can be used for any kind of disability-related expense virtually that you can think of. And just like for folks who might be on SSI or Medicaid, 
that ABLE account is not just a savings account that just sort of lays there. That account can, is a, it can, can be an investment account. And you can be as risk-averse or as much of a gambler as you want with that investing, with that, with that money, those assets that you accumulate in that ABLE account, as your state program that you affiliate with will allow. And that means those assets not only will grow over the course of time, but you can pull them out at any time to pay things like not only assistive technology, but friends, you can pay for rent, mortgage, transportation. Are these things that people who are blind and visually impaired care about? Transportation, rent, assistive technology. By the way, did you know that you say... Um, I, uh, I, I, I want to go back to school, or I want to take up, a, a, I, I want some kind of continuing education. ABLE accounts were modeled on these so-called 529 accounts, which are all about college savings plans. So it's the same kind of thing. ABLE accounts can allow you to use that money for educational purposes as well if you want to help continue on. I'm going to wrap up, but I, I just want to give you one limiting factor. But I, I want you to understand it clearly. And I know Tony Stevens has tried to make this point in the past, too, with you all. So I hope that this is, a, again, a refresher with you. Yes, it is true that the current ABLE account structure in this country is limited to those people whose disability began before age 26. That is true. What is not true is that only people 26 years of age and under can take advantage of it. It's not true. Yours truly just turned 50 years old a few days ago. Just want to point that out. That's where some of this gray hair comes from. And, and, but yours truly from the womb has had a disability, and I am eligible to participate, and in fact have an ABLE account myself. Because it's of use to me, I can make contributions to it that are tax advantage, which is to say when you put money into that account and the savings and investment grows over time, and then you have those disability-related expenses that are drive us all crazy and can really weigh us down, you can make withdrawals from that account and that it, it, that those, that as, that, as those assets have grown, whatever taxes you might have otherwise had to pay, you don't have to pay those guys. So this is a useful, useful tool. And uh, the biggest thing that I want to make sure you come away from this presentation knowing is that, number one, it exists. Uh, number two, people need to know a lot more about it. Right now, across the country, there are about, I think, 41, maybe 42,000 ABLE accounts that have been opened. Uh, there's about $230 million, $230 million that have been invested all across the country as a result of those accounts. That's a ton of money, guys. And the opportunities for people with disabilities are tremendous. But I will simply close by saying this is just one tool among many that we need to work on together. I mentioned that the current ABLE structure is limited to those people whose disability, whose disability began 
before age 26. We're currently working on, this is Mark Riker talking, so you know there's always going to be a legislative pitch, right? So uh, we are currently working on federal legislation pending in both the House and the Senate to raise that age limit up to age 46 so that even more people, particularly our young people coming back from the far too many wars that our country participates in, but that when they come back, that they're able to take uh, uh, part in this program. And uh, certainly many others whose disabilities come on later on in life. So we would urge your support and your help. And I know ACB and our colleagues at the staff uh, level uh, at ACB, I know, are partnering with us on efforts to get the word out about that so-called Able Age Adjustment Act. But fundamentally, and I will end with this, we need to address this fundamental question of poverty. And whatever we do as we advocate and whatever you do as you go back home, help get the word out about the fact that it is absolutely unconscionable and unjust that among people with disabilities that poverty rate is two and a half times that of the rest of the population. And if we can do something to address how much money is in the pockets of people with disabilities, as important as government programs are, we can ourselves liberate, at least in part, liberate ourselves by helping to accumulate more assets and not be so dependent on others. And that's something I think we can all, all, all uh, rally around. With that, thank you all so very, very much for giving me an opportunity to talk about ABLE Accounts with you. All right. You'll hear more. And Mark is around if you have questions for him. Um, and uh, you'll hear more from him later in the week. All right. Susan Glass, are you up here? Okay, I'm gonna, it gives me great pleasure to bring to the microphone to announce the winners of the Vernon Henley Media Access Award and the Hollis K. Liggett Award, the chairman of our Board of Publications, Susan Glass from Sarasota, California. Good morning, ACB. <laughs> it is my distinct pleasure to present two awards today. Each year, the Board of Publications honors an individual writer who has contributed an excellent article to the Braille Forum or to an affiliate newsletter that then nominates that article. American Council of the Blind Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award presented to John Buckley for his article Education Outside the Classroom, which provides ideas for parents helping their young children build strong blindness skills. We present this award today, July 9th, 2019, and John Buckley could not be with us, to, with us today. However, accepting the award on his behalf is uh, our wonderful colleague, Suzanne Ament. Suzanne Ament is first vice president of the American Association of Blind Teachers. John has been our esteemed treasurer for years, and I will... Uh, let Suzanne say a word or two and present this award. I am Dr. Suzanne Ament, and when I first met Dr. John Buckley, I was a PhD wannabe. And John has, through my career, helped me with advice and encouragement, 
And so on a personal note, I am really pl uh, pleased to accept this award in his honor. Those of you who know John, if he were here, he would have a dry and comical and yet very humble comment to make, and I cannot reproduce that. But what I will say to you is that John is a communicator in all areas. So he gets this award for writing, but he is a great communicator and he is a great recruiter, not just for AABT, but for ACB in general. So you guys really have a wonderful member in John Buckley. Thank you on his behalf. You will all know this recipient of our next award and the esteemed publication. American Council of the Blind, Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award, presented to Ralph Smitherman and the Braille Revival League for Affiliate Newsletter Excellence, July 9th, 2019. Congratulations. All right. Good morning, ACB. <clears throat> I want to thank the ACB Board of Publications for their consideration for this outstanding award. I want to thank the Braille Revival League for giving me that opportunity to be editor of the BRL Memorandum. And I want to thank everyone who submitted articles so that I could edit them. That was great. A special thank you goes to Mr. Paul Edwards for his friendship and support as BRL president. He does a great job for us. So join us and uh, receive the memorandum from us. Thank you. I'll slide back up here. Thank you, Thank you Susan, and uh, congratulations to uh, both John Buckley and uh, uh, BRL on their awards. I, uh, as a lifelong BRL member, I can certainly attest life to the wonder of that newsletter. Anyway, next we're going to bring up Research and training and center um, and, and training and stuff is really important as we uh, move forward in the future. And to give us an update from the National Research and Training Center on Blindness and Visual Impairment at Mississippi State University, it gives me great pleasure to bring to the microphone. Let's give an ACB warm welcome to Sylvia Stinson Perez, the director of that uh, center. Sylvia? Well, good morning, everyone. I wanted to say, to start off by saying, I attended my first ACB meeting, which was a FCB, Florida meeting, a long time ago with Paul Edwards. He's not allowed to tell you how long ago, though. I will tell you, though, he had gray hair then. Some of us are getting old. I won't say who. But speaking of old, I am honored to represent the Older Individuals Who Are Blind Technical Assistance Center at the National Research and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision at Mississippi State University. I'm still trying to figure out how to get that braille onto one business card. <laughs> so I'm privileged to go around and work with all 56 states and territories in the U.S to provide technical assistance and training on 
programs for independent living older blind services. Each year, only approximately 55,000 people, which is less than 3% of people who are potential candidates for older blind services, are actually receiving services. Only just over 33 million is allocated federally to that program. That's less than $600 a person. I can tell you that services are not what they were 20 years ago. Oh, I guess I just kind of gave that away how long I've known Paul. <laughs> but things are not the same as they were years ago. There's, the services are so constrained by finances. So my call to you today is there are three things that you can do in your own communities. Number one, help create awareness about the services that are available to people. It is often extremely difficult for newly visually impaired people to find services. It, they could be under Health and Human Services, Department of Education, Department of Labor, then all the private agencies have all these different names. It's hard to find services. So get out in your community, join speakers bureaus, spread the word about the capabilities of people who are blind and what they can, newly visually impaired people can learn to do. Second, I ask you to get involved in your communities to create more advocacy. Join your senior center if you're of that age. We know at least one person in here is. Join your senior center and request accommodations. And as so many said this morning, go to your theater, request accommodations. Make ourselves known so that we can really create awareness. Advocate. ACB is a tremendous advocacy organization, but advocacy also starts in our own backyards. Grassroots advocacy. So be a part of that in your own communities. Finally, and this is my big thing, our field is suffering. The field of visual impairment training, blindness training, is suffering. You know why it's suffering? Because there's not enough people who are blind working in our field or leading our field. As a person who's blind and who led a private agency for the blind for many years, I can tell you I was one of a few. There needs to be more people working in our field. I read an article, and I believe it was in the Braille Forum a few years ago, that talked about the honor of working in our field. I have been so privileged to have an amazing career working in this field. I've held two-week-old babies who were born blind whose parents had no idea what to do. I've worked with children and teens who now have successful careers. I've held the hands of a hundred-year-old people who were experiencing vision loss and still trying to live on their own. Those have been amazing, rewarding experiences. And I promise for any of you who are looking for an amazing career, this is an amazing career to be in. 
We are working on, at Mississippi State University, a new master's level certification program that will lead to a certified vision rehab therapy certification. It's four classes at, through ACVREP, um, and I'm going to be the director of that. <laughs> so um, we're putting the grant in. So we actually need letters of support. <laughs> but um, really, I want more people in our field. I want more leaders in our field. Please join me in that. I promise you, it is an amazing career to be a part of. Now, my colleagues at the NRTC asked me to share a little bit about the research we're doing. And actually, I'm not going to share about the research. I'm just going to ask you to find me in the back, outside the door after the session is over, because we have two exciting things going on. One amazingly exciting thing is we are piloting an app called 4 to 24. The number four letters, T-O, numbers 24. And that app is for 4 to 24 year olds, obviously, <laughs> and transition, who are visually impaired, and it's for parents and then for youth, and it provides a host of activities related to independent living, related to social, related to recreation, movement, work, etc., to really promote transition into adulthood. And later this year, or possibly early next year, a deafblind version will be coming out as well. So see me out there to um, get information on how to sign up or take information back to your local chapters. And then the other study that we are currently doing um, is one on job retention. So we're looking for anyone who's ever had a job. It's not that you have a job now, you got a job and you were fired, you had a job when you were blind. If you've ever had a job, that's probably most people here. We really are looking to find out some of the, some of the key things that lead to success. So I have the flyers on that in Braille and print, but I'll give you our website too so that you can reach out to us for anything. And it is the word blind dot ms for mississippi state.edu blind.msstate.edu and through that you can find the older blind technical assistance center the um, research we're doing there's lots of articles there are free online courses etc so i thank you i thank eric and Kim for inviting me today. I thank Paul Edwards for really encouraging me to join this field. He could have given me better directions about how to get to the stage this morning, but <laughs> I'll forgive him. But thank you. It's such a privilege to be with all of you today and um, see me outside afterwards. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. So the answer, the word is never take directions from Paul, I guess is what the word is. You know, when she said 4 to 24, I said, thought as an addicted dice world player, I thought, wow, maybe there's a new game coming. But no, it sounds even better. We have one more speaker this morning, and um, I'm going to ask that the door prize people also get ready, because after this is over, I'm probably going to call on you to give a couple out. I know some of you have luncheons and things to get to. Please feel free to uh, take off. But 
don't take off too soon because our next guest has some good stuff to share, and he's a no stranger to ACB about electronic access and uh, uh, what's going on at the Federal Communications Commission. ACB is represented, one of ACB's representatives on the Disability Advisory Committee at the FCC, our former staff member and always good friend, Mr. Tony Stevens. Yeah. Hey, hey, man. Hey, man. You, man. You, too, man. you too, man. How's it going? Good. Yeah. We got a mic right here? Yeah, you do, right here. As they, say, <laughs> as they say in New York. Good morning, ACB. Good morning to my second home of New York State. It's good to be back in New York. There they are over there. Good morning, Madam President, and everybody up here on the stage, and as well, everybody in the audience, everybody listening at home still in their slippers. Um, Hi everyone, my name is Tony Stevens. I am, I'm no longer with ACB, formally in a sense, uh, as far as working, but Eric was in no way going to let me run away. So it's been a privilege over the past year, uh, since I left about eight months ago, to still be involved in a lot of the electronic communications, sort of the area that I nerd out on. Folks might not know, uh, you know, my background was in media and journalism back in the 90s. I ran a radio station and have always had a love for all things electronic since I was a kid and would take apart my dad's computers. Um, in, in terms of what I want to share, I'm going to do what I learned in the Jesuits about the three Bs, be brief, be brilliant, and be gone, because I know we're behind on time. I'm going to do an advert for the session this afternoon at 4.15 uh, 4, p.m. Myself and a couple others uh, in the biz, as you will, will be downstairs, I think it is, where the Joel had mentioned earlier, the ADP sessions that are taking place. We'll be in the second part of that, and we'll be diving more into the weeds. But what I want to be able to do here is, because you might hear some of this stuff going on and chatter in other places, is, is share a little bit about and, and very briefly, in a sense of what's going on in the electronic communications front, particularly around audio description with some of the emerging technology and some of the challenges and, and some of the partnerships that have really grown out of the relationships that I've, I've been fortunate to still sort of work under as being your representative for the Disability Advisory Committee for the Federal Communications Commission. Will was here earlier, was that right? Yes, we'll make it, yeah. So, Will, um, folks that don't know, there is an excellent, you heard Will speak earlier today, and, and he, is, he is a strong force within the Federal Communications Commission, uh, representing the concerns and interests and, and making sure that the CVAA, the Communications Video Accessibility Act of 2010, which is going to be 10 years old next year, ADP is 10 years old, but CVAA will be 10 years old next year. There have been talk about maybe some sort of, you know, those of us around Capitol Hill that like to push for things. Uh, that, that, you know, now is the time maybe to start thinking about what the future is. That really dives into where we're working at a lot with the FCC and, and other folks like our partners will be here later today with National Association of Broadcasters. If he's not here now, Larry Walk with NAB um, is here as well. Uh, and we're just so fortunate to have strong relationships between the commission and the broadcast industry. Folks know Tom with Comcast and the other cable companies, Verizon and others that we've had big relationships with over the years in really trying to make it more accessible what is essentially the hallmark of American life, that Monday morning water cooler after, after a Sunday game on television, um, you know, the, the work that the Olympics were doing to being described. Uh, was, did we know if the, the soccer game was described the other day? I didn't get to catch it, but, but, you know, probably not, but there's still a lot of areas for growth. Even with the FCC rules in place that went into effect last this past year for 87.5 hours, that is still a fraction when you compare it side by side to what the deaf and hard of hearing community have for equal access. 
So we are continuing to fight for pushing that from a 3% to a 30% to a 90%. What can we do to try to get greater access? One of those areas that's been a technical challenge that we've been working with NAB on is around emergency accesses. Because it's one thing to laugh at a comedy. It's another thing to fear for your life if there's a tornado ripping through your community. And there are some technologies that are great and innovative uh, in, in practicing what they say where a picture tells a thousand words. And how do we exactly get to that point of, of how do you make using existing technology what like Facebook uses for photo recognition and some of the technologies that we're working behind the scenes to try to create for real-time description using automated systems and artificial intelligence and things like that. How can we find areas where that could be fruitful and beneficial in trying to do the most fundamental things that as a public, in a sense, bandwidth as the communications has always been seen since the Communications Act of 1934, we have seen this idea that this is our, these are our airwaves, right? It's, it's the right-of-ways for cables under the ground that, that ties into like the telecommunications set up with telegraphs and things over the history. So we've always seen this as our communication grid in this country. We're excited to have the partners we're working with and trying to make that a more accessible grid. You'll be hearing more about that uh, in the coming year as a report is due to the Federal Communications Committee on a current waiver uh, as we try to find technical solutions uh, to really remedy this, this particular issue I said with, with uh, emergency crawls and things like that, that where they're putting graphical images in the bottom of the screen and how can we find ways to make those images accessible. Uh, we, we as ACB's history has always been solid with is we'll work with anybody that comes to the table. You know, if someone's willing to listen, we're willing to talk and share and find compromises. And once we found success in getting lawyers out of the rooms and we get the nerds in the room, we have always been impressed with how much gain is made between organizations coming together who sometimes might not always seen, be seen as, you know, consumer and industry. Consumer advocates and industry don't always come on an eye in, in sense. This time we do. So come this afternoon if you have a chance. If you're free, check out 245 and 415. Uh, I, I look forward to getting a chance. I, I unfortunately have my other day job that I'm now tied with, so I can only be here today. But hopefully I get a chance to touch base with some of you. Uh, and, you know, keep, keep listening to let us know. Email advocacy at acb.org with any of your issues dealing with cable or other accessibility issues in the telecom and electronic communications world. And we are proud to be your representatives, not just myself, but Claire Stanley is our, is our alternate. Uh, Carl Richards, is, is he here somewhere, Carl? Yeah, Carl's here. Um, and, you know, the ADP subcommittee, Dan Spoon, is tied in. Joel is, is on the DAC. Uh, so you have a lot of advocates working to make the electronic communication space more accessible for you, the end user. So thanks, everybody. I look forward to connecting while I'm here today. And have a wonderful convention. Take care. And the, using the three Bs, Tony got us back on schedule. <laughs> That's great. So that, so that we, people have, will have time to get to their luncheons. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a couple closing remarks first, and then I'll turn it to the door prize people, and then, well, let's do, a, let's do like three door prizes. So stick around. Don't go anywhere, folks. And then we'll, um, we'll take um, any other announcements after door prizes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for two things. Thank you for inviting me and uh, giving me the opportunity, the awesome opportunity to preside this morning. I thank uh, uh, everyone for, for that. It's been a, truly an honor to stand before you and preside in front of the greatest organization of the blind, consumer organization of people who are blind or visually impaired, the American Council of the Blind. 
And second of all, thank you for the awesome privilege of serving you these past six years as your secretary. It has been an honor for me to communicate what's been happening with our board of directors through the minutes that I do. It's been an honor to make sure that votes are adequately ta accurately tallied, I should say, uh, through the uh, roll call process and all the other things that um, I've had to do. I thank uh, you know, Kim for giving me some responsibilities and allowing me to spread my wings just a little bit. And it's certainly been an honor, and I thank you for that privilege because you guys made it happen. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Ray. Hello, everyone. Sorry. Okay, we have a uh, two-pack of swivel power plates from ACBNY. You can plug stuff into them. Who's going to win them? Maria Christick from Albany, New York. Maria Christick, I know you're, in, you're at convention. Are you here? Oh, Maria. Maria Christick. She is a first-time attendee. Come on, Maria. Wow. She gone. Okay, next, next name. I'm here. <laughs> Robin Hughes. Robin Hughes. Where is Robin Hughes from? Pittsville, Maryland. Mar Robin Hughes she's, from and Maryland. Maryland says she's not here. She's not here. Okay. These are really good power plates, guys. A lot of, lot of places to plug stuff in. Brett Salisbury, are you here? Bloomington, Indiana. Brett Salisbury, are you here? No. Nope. Everybody's on the adult beverage tour. Come on, guys. <laughs> Except me. Except me and you. Okay. <laughs> Patty Slaby. Patty Slaby. Are you here? Gone. Not here. Yikes. Somebody's got to win this thing. Maybe I shouldn't have told people to go off to their luncheons and stuff. Sharon IGE. I. Oh, we got one. Oh, we found one. Yay! <laughs> okay. All right. Congratulations, Sharon. All right. Uh, All right. Drew, gonna, let's do another. Okay. Our next door prize is a cutting board and knife sharpener, also brought to you by the ACB of New York. Can that go through TSA? <laughs> um, well, yeah, probably. It's all wrapped up, so it should be fine. Okay. <laughs> Margaret Johnson. Margaret Johnson, Margaret Arkansas. Margaret Johnson. Are you here? Are you here, Margaret? It's a big and wide. You can probably cut a nice chicken on it or some fruit. <clears throat> okay. Next one mm -hmm. is Harry Raff. Harry Raff. Are you Allentown, here? Allentown, Pennsylvania. Larry Ledford. Larry Ledford, are St. you Louis, here? St. Louis, Missouri. Larry Ledford, St. Louis, Missouri. Are you here? Okay, gone. Here. I heard him say he's gone. Uh, Joanne. Today he's not here. Okay. Joanne Cyrus. Joanne Cyrus. Toledo, Ohio. Forget that. Beatrice Gamera, G-A-M-A-R-R-A, -R -R -A from Clifton, New Jersey. Okay, Matt... Hanlon, H-A-E-L-I-N, from Florence, Massachusetts. Carrie Johnson, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I've got a tour at 1230. Come on, guys. <laughs> Darlene Calkins, Denver, Colorado. Oh, finally! Ah, <laughs> we found one. <laughs> Hopefully 
hopefully this one will go quick, and it's perfect for lunch. It's a $15 Subway gift card, courtesy of the D.C. Council of the Blind. Thank you, D.C. So if you don't want to stand in line at the cafe, you can go to Subway if you win this. Yep. Okay, the winner is Carolyn Shavers from Austin, Texas. Carolyn Car Shavers, Austin, Texas. I think we should give it to her. Yes. Mr. Uh, Mr. Chair, this is Judy Jackson Yes. with ACBGE. I just um, want to again make uh, an announcement. We are having a resume writing workshop. We have one slot left today, which is from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., and then Joanne has graciously agreed to work tomorrow morning because of her flight issues. Um, so we have times tomorrow morning, 8.30 to 9.30, 9.45 to 10.45, and 11 to 12. And tomorrow morning's sessions will be in room 817 at the Riverside. And then today it's in the e Hyatt Eastman boardroom. You do not have to have your resume if you don't have it. Certainly if you do, it's easier. But if you don't, no worries. She's willing to uh, have you give it to her orally and she'll format that. If you will give me a call at area code 940-255-9241, you can call me and we'll get you set up. You can also email me at jjackson. 193 at iCloud.com. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Judy, thanks for... Turn 10 back on. Turn me back on. No, it's not. It's in the Hyatt Eastman boardroom. Okay. Hello. My name is Vida Bias, V-I-D-A-B-Y-A-S, from Virginia. And I'm a first This is the last one, by the way. I'm a first-time... At here at the convention, and I Welcome. just have an observation. Uh, during the presentations of the awards, I couldn't tell what they were getting, whether it was a plaque or a trophy or whatever. So I was just hoping that next time, that a little bit of an, an audio description <laughs> might be well taken there. <laughs> um, and I and I take that as. I'll, I'll go my bad there. We should have had the, those awards read, and I do, we oh, do apologize okay. for that. Okay, no problem. Thank you so much. They were plaques. Yeah. Plaques, yeah. yeah. And then the, um, the Lifetime Achievement Award was uh -huh. um, more of a trophy-type award. So right. um, typically we do give plaques. We do read them. Um, okay. But as you can see, we're already way behind schedule, and yeah. uh, that was just—it was just a—we uh, um, uh, just missed it. Sure. And by the way, welcome to ACB convention. Thank you. I'll be back. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it. Okay, um, that's going to do it. We are in recess till 8:30 a.m. tomorrow morning. Thank you.